Hi, welcome back. I'm kind of excited to do this episode. I, firstly, am excited just to get this over with. Not like I want to get the episode over with, but I am kind of sick of talking about this topic, and though I'm not going to kit myself into thinking that I'll be done talking about Amber Heard and Johnny Depp's spectacularly horrible relationship forever, I know that I'm going to come back to it when Amber gets further along in the appeals process, and I'll probably talk too about any, like, major documentaries or video essays or anything that comes up about it, because I will almost certainly have opinions on those. But this is finally the last time I'm going to talk about it for at least, I'm hoping, like, two months? That's, that's all I ask for? As long as there are no other major developments, I'm at least going to just take a break on this topic for a minute. But I am excited about this episode in particular because this is the episode that I always wanted to make. I have no intention on being a true crime podcast at all. I have three episodes by this point just going over all of the allegations and going over Amber and Johnny's past relationships, and then the unsealed documents, like, it's a lot of just combing through data, which I felt like I really needed to do because I wanted to come into this topic really informed about what was being alleged and what people were actually talking about when they were talking about this case. But my expertise is in, like, pop culture and celebrity culture and internet discourse or just larger cultural discourse. This is my bag. This is what I actually like talking about. Because as fun as it is to research things, and I do enjoy a good investigation, it's not a whole lot of fun to just listen to, like, hours upon hours of audio recordings of two people being the absolute worst to one another. Granted, I am going to talk about people on the internet being the absolute worst to one another in this episode, but at least that feels less invasive because it's happening on public platforms and it is relevant to all of our lives for us as a society. And it's not just me listening to two random celebrities who I'm not even a very big fan of just going back and forth in the privacy of their own homes. That felt weird. But I did have to do a lot of research, as I said, so there's like a five-hour episode on this podcast about just the allegations and my interpretations of the evidence. I also made a page on my website to act as an unbiased resource for anyone else who would like to know more about the case but doesn't want to have to dig through all that shit on their own. You can go to the website, you can look at it, it's editable, so any suggestions you have for updates. I still have some other updates that I need to add, but I got a little burnt out on the subject for a minute, so I haven't added anything to it in like a week. But feel free to send me anything. Now, as we move forward in this episode, it's going to be broken up into a couple different parts. The first part is going to be a little more self-indulgent for me because, like I said, I made that page and I would like to talk about some of the responses that I got after I first published it. Partially because they were just entertaining for me and I would like to rant and rave about them, but also... The responses that I got are more or less representative for how people have been talking about this subject overall, so 
going off that, I would really like to address some myths that I saw online. When I first started doing my research, there were a couple different things that I expected to run into, and then just did not. Because there were a lot of things that were being said online about these two trials and about Amber and Johnny that I thought for sure, if people are spreading these claims so widely, they must have some credible evidence for them, right? No, apparently not. Apparently, people just make things up on the internet. I... I guess I knew that. <laughs> I am not naive to the fact that misinformation exists. I just really didn't realize how far misinformation could spread without anyone saying anything. Not, I guess, anyone. People did say things, like individuals, but as far as big publications go that have actual trained journalists, mainstream media seem to be lacking a lot of fact-checkers around this spectacle, which was very strange considering how unavoidable the discourse was. To some degree, journalists are like the babysitters of the internet. They're supposed to be the ones who go through and fact-check things and give context to things that people are talking about and use the resources that they have that other people cannot readily access to investigate claims and keep people honest. And that just didn't really seem to happen in any sort of widespread manner during this trial. The people who were actually talking about the specific nitty-gritty details of what was being alleged between Johnny and Amber were just random Twitter users and TikTokers and people who are not trained to interpret complex data. Or, unfortunately, fact-check. Like, media literacy is not something that our education system really values as much as it should. So, I can't really blame all the people that I saw spreading misinformation online because I don't think that the average person is super adept at spotting misinformation when they come across it. And that's a problem, but it's a problem that people with resources to help mitigate the problem should be trying to address, and they really, really dropped the ball on this one. They just left a room full of kindergartners with some scissors and glue and decided that they didn't need any sort of supervision whatsoever. So yeah, I'm gonna talk about myths surrounding the case, then also just misconceptions, things that weren't really lies or made-up fabrications, but were still problematic interpretations that came from people who probably just didn't know any better. That'll be more clear when we actually start talking about the misconceptions. Along with that, then I'll just discuss some other wacky things that I saw on the internet. Then I will talk more widely about just the state of social media over the last year and how harassment became a lot more pervasive during this trial than really any other time in recent memory. Along with that, I'm gonna discuss the mechanisms for why this happened, like how people were incentivized to talk about this trial online and the biases that I think might have been behind some of the rhetoric that became really toxic. And then finally, in addition to all the misconceptions about Amber Heard and Johnny Depp's situation, I want to just talk about misconceptions about domestic abuse as a whole that informed the way a lot of people were discussing this trial. 
or I guess I shouldn't even isolate it to the trial, the US trial. It was two trials, the US and the UK that informed this discourse, but also just general cultural developments. I mean, this entire conversation has been steadily developing ever since Amber came out as an alleged victim of domestic violence, which was in 2016, so this goes far beyond just one legal case. This is an entire collection of bullshit that we will probably be dealing with the ramifications of for years, so let's just get into it. Let's start with me. Let's discuss some of the weird reactions that I got when I posted my page originally. So I want to start with a response that I got after posting my page onto Twitter, posting a link to it. I got a reply that I thought was kind of funny in retrospect. It says, I appreciate you're trying to compile all the info, but I think that... And then they wrote something in South African, but I can't even begin to understand how to pronounce it correctly, so I'm not gonna try. Which means, you're cutting a switch for your own butt. You're going to be bombarded from both sides with people disagreeing with you, regardless of how neutral you are. Now, initially I was like, that's probably true. The way I set up the page, I tried to be as acknowledging and as fair to both sides as possible because I wanted it to be an unbiased source. It's just something that people could look at that wasn't trying to convince them one way or the other, just had all the information and all the evidence. So I thought, yeah, I'm probably going to get some backlash from both sides because people want to see their side represented and don't necessarily want to see something that's taking the time to acknowledge the possible valid points of the opposing end. But uh, no, that actually was not what happened. I would say that 100% of the negative backlash I got was all from one side. It was all just exclusively Team Johnny. And I understand that to a degree because I think at this moment, because of how Amber Heard has been treated in the general conversations and how her supporters have been treated by proxy, they're a lot more like humble because they've spent the last like six months just being ruthlessly harassed so they don't really have much of a leg to stand on when it comes to berating other people. But Johnny Depp stands have not had to be as gracious when they discussed this case. And this isn't to say that it's all of them. I've talked to many Johnny Depp supporters who are just totally lovely and are coming from this entire trial with the best of intentions and are interacting in conversations with good faith and not being toxic toward anyone. But on the whole, Johnny Depp stands have been really enabled to just be fucking nasty. And many of them exist within their own echo chambers, which just perpetuates the problem. So yeah, Johnny Depp stands more or less pretty horrible people to correspond with at the moment. Sorry, not all of you, hashtag not all Johnny Depp stands, but a lot of you. And the most telling thing as well about the response that I got after posting my page initially is that people were responding without reading the page at all and really just came to the assumption that because it was a page that was meant to act as a resource for the general allegations in both the UK and the US trial, that 
it must automatically be pro-Amber. And this is an interesting thing that I keep seeing from Johnny Depp supporters is that if you're not outwardly defending Johnny or disparaging Amber, if you're trying to take a more neutral stance, then you're automatically anti-Johnny. And if you're trying to add any additional context outside of the U.S. trial, then you are again anti-Johnny. And that's a very interesting thing to believe. Especially because one of the reasons I even wanted to make the resource in the first place was because the U.S. trial was the trial I know that most people are familiar with because it was recorded. There's video footage of it. People were turning it into TikToks and shit. It had a lot more publicity. And it's not really the full picture. There was a lot of evidence that was used in the UK trial that wasn't admissible in the US trial because it was deemed hearsay. And I had a big problem with that because in domestic violence cases, a lot of evidence is gonna kind of be hearsay. When violence takes place behind closed doors, everything is gonna be he said, she said. The best evidence that a lot of domestic abuse victims are ever going to get is just the people that they told when it happened. Like, contemporaneous records of like, hey, I was treated badly by my partner today. That's the evidence in a lot of domestic abuse cases, and I don't think that we should be dismissing that as hearsay because... That's gonna fuck over a lot of victims. Now, luckily for Amber, she did, in addition to those text messages, she had a lot of other evidence. She did. When you write it all out, she had a lot more evidence than Johnny did. But Johnny's performance within the courtroom was more compelling, as was his attorney's performances. And Amber's attorneys didn't do a great job. And it's not even that I think that they're, like, awful lawyers, but... I don't think that they were prepared to go into these trials with the spectacle-in-mind outlook that Johnny's attorneys had, and that did them a lot of damage. Like with the O.J. Simpson trial, O.J.'s attorneys and Johnny's attorneys knew that they were playing to the camera. They knew that they needed to perform for an audience, and they did a better job, and unfortunately, Human beings often make their decisions based off of emotions and not necessarily hard facts. So it's a lot easier to watch the U.S. trial and side with Johnny just based off of vibes alone than it is to look past all the times that Amber's attorneys embarrassed themselves just to evaluate the very basic facts. So I really thought it was important to just get away from the videos of the trial and lay out all of the information in a very plain way, in a way that is devoid of any sort of body language analysis or spin from different attorneys. Just, here's the information, here's the data, have at it. And taking that tactic seemed to upset some people. One of the major responses that I got was that this page is useless because anyone who wants to know about the trial should just watch the U.S. trial on YouTube. And again, I think that's a really manipulative way to ask people to interact with this case. An interesting thing that was said to me a couple times, actually, was that 
Johnny Depp won his trial, so it's a done deal. It's all set, don't need to look anywhere else for any other information. And that is a really weird position to take considering there were two trials and Johnny only won one of them. Now, there are two responses that I get when bringing this fact up, that there were in fact two trials. The first is that the trial in the UK was biased or corrupt in some way. However, I've never been given any sort of credible evidence to support that. There's nothing wrong with that trial that I can see. I, I've looked into it. It's, it's just a normal trial and the judge had a perfectly fair verdict with the evidence and his interpretation of the evidence. So I, I don't even know what people are talking about when they say that, but at least in that case, I can kind of imagine that like, maybe there's information I don't know about. Maybe I'm just missing some point of data that hasn't been brought to my attention. I doubt it because I have just dedicated so much time of my life to this fucking case that I feel like I would have come across it by now, but maybe, who's to say? The internet is a huge place and I can't say that I've looked in every little corner. The other response though is just blatantly dumb. So the second thing that people will say is that the other trial doesn't count because Amber wasn't the defendant in that case, the son was, but it's still a lawsuit that Johnny filed for defamation because the son called him a wife beater and the evidence that was used in that case was provided by Amber to prove that he was. So you can disagree with that verdict no matter what, like you do you, but you can't say that that verdict doesn't count just because Amber wasn't the defendant. Johnny still was trying to prove the same thing. And in the UK, he wasn't able to prove it. So yeah, Johnny lost in that case. And it doesn't matter that Amber was only a witness. It's completely beside the point, And it's just moving the goalpost to make this seem like this is a battle of the lawsuits when it's really a battle of was Amber lying when she said that Johnny was abusive to her, and in the UK trial, the judge decided, no, she wasn't. You can't argue your way out of that. That is what happened. And it's especially absurd, too, because even if we're doing this game to, like, keep score of people's in-court wins in this situation, Johnny Depp's stands have tried to portray the U.S. trial as if it was just a clear-cut win for Johnny, and in some ways it was. He did win, I think, on all counts that he was suing Amber for, but Amber also countersued and did win on a count. So the score isn't Johnny Depp won, Amber zero. The score is more like Johnny Depp three, Amber won, the sun one. If we're just going off of wins on like, who's the defendant and who's the plaintiff. It's just, it's annoying. The amount of people who are like, Amber lost fully? Not really. Amber did win her claim that Johnny and his former attorney Adam Waldman defamed her by claiming that she had faked one of the scenarios in which she was alleging abuse. Which is kind of a contradiction in a way because if 
Johnny Depp and Adam Waldman weren't defaming Amber by saying that she faked that allegation, that she made that entire situation up, then the jury is admitting that they do believe that that allegation was true, that Amber was not lying. And then also they believe that Amber was never abused by Johnny? It doesn't really make any sense whatsoever. But I guess, again, we're just... We're just going on gut feelings about this shit. We're not actually looking to parse the facts and make a reasonable decision. We're just we're just going with vibes here. And the vibe is Johnny Depp won, but Amber wasn't lying as much as he said she was. I don't know. But that's the verdict that Team Johnny is comfortable with. And it's a little frustrating that because Johnny lost in the UK, there was a demand from him and from his fans that we needed a redo. That verdict was wrong, let's do it over. And then, once we get to the US trial and the outcome is favorable for Johnny, now him and his fans are like, okay, but that's it. No more, no more redos, that's it. It feels very Trumpian, if I'm being honest. It feels like, remember during the 2020 election when there were those two groups of Trump supporters in separate states, and one of them was saying stop the count because Trump was in the lead and they wanted to just stop the count before any other votes could come in that contradicted that. But then in another state, a different group of Trump supporters were cheering recount because it had already been decided that Trump did not win the election and they didn't like that result, so you gotta redo it. That's what this feels like. It feels like the UK trial got Johnny Depp supporters yelling, recount, do over, don't like that. And then with the US trial, if anyone tries to add any additional information and maybe put the verdict into a context that's not totally favorable to Johnny, suddenly it's stop the count. We're done. But so let's pivot because the other place that I got some more feedback was Reddit. I did not originally post my page on Reddit. Some other lovely soul did that for me. Not for me in that I told them to do it, I just happened upon my piece on two separate Reddit forums that were posted by the same person. So one was the Deb V Heard trial subreddit. That, in theory, should be like just a general subreddit about the trial, but of course it is overwhelmingly populated by Team Johnny. Then the other subreddit was Dep Delusion, which is a pro-Amber subreddit that basically just posts things in relation to supporting Amber, but also pointing out that Johnny Depp has a whole history of problematic behavior. Now, this same user posted my page on these two subreddits, can you guess what the reactions were for the separate forums? At this moment on the Depth Delusion subreddit, the post has 98 upvotes. Pretty decent. Then on Depth v. Heard Trial, it has 6. That's actually kind of surprising in itself because when it was first posted, it was hovering around zero to like, you know, negative two. People didn't love it. Including people, by the way, who openly admitted in the comments to not reading it. And then the comment section was obviously 
different for each subreddit as well. The Depth Illusion subreddit was very lovely. Um, someone posted a couple different edits that they suggested. They also emailed me that list, which is how I found this subreddit actually, because they emailed me the link to the subreddit. So I went through and I looked at the other things that people on this post were suggesting and they were great suggestions. I added them to the original document. I also have since joined this subreddit and have continuously posted things onto it when I wanted suggestions from people who had knowledge on this trial because these people were cooperative with me and pleasant to interact with. And yes, I am biased in the way that I do think that Amber Heard was telling the truth, so I'm gonna fit in on Adept Delusion subreddit, but even before I actually made that statement and made the podcast episode where I said I was Team Amber, when I was just posting things that were just basic facts with no interpretation onto it, Amber Heard supporters were just more eager to contribute to those conversations. They had things that they actually wanted to add rather than just getting defensive immediately when things weren't blatantly pro their side. And I am not trying to paint this as like all Johnny Depp supporters are like rude or shitty and all Amber Heard supporters are nice and open and warm. It's just that the overall vibe of each group is very different. I'm not going to shame anyone who is pro-Team Johnny, and maybe even at this point, I'm not against the idea that I could be wrong. I don't think that I am, but if someone gave me information that proved me otherwise, I'm open to it. So I'm not trying to just demonize Team Johnny, but... Team Johnny does need to take some responsibility for the fact that their communities are incredibly toxic. Not all of the individuals within those communities are toxic, but as a whole, it's not a place I want to hang out, is what I'm going to say. And that is why, as much as I wanted to really get everyone's perspective and all the credible information that I could find, when I was reaching out for suggestions for what I could add and what information was missing on my page, I did not post on the Depth v. Heard trial subreddit. Because I don't really trust that subreddit as an impartial source. I don't trust that if I post something that's not blatantly pro-Johnny that I'm not gonna get harassed. And that's really saying something because that subreddit is literally called Depth v. Heard trial, and I have more faith to get impartial information from the one called Depth Delusion. That's a very strong stance that just the name of the subreddit is taking. And they still are a better source for objective facts. But after that mini rant, let's take a look at some of the specific comments on the Depth v. Heard Trial subreddit. The first one says, The section unheard is very thin. Nothing about her license suspension, about her co-star talking about her drug use, her magazine articles where she talks about loving older men and living a wild life, kind of makes it seem biased. Now this is in reference to the background sections where I put the background of Johnny Depp and the background of Amber Heard prior to the timeline of allegations on my page. And yes, 
Amber Heard's section is significantly shorter than Johnny Depp's. Part of that is because Johnny Depp has been famous for way longer than Amber Heard and also is much more famous than Amber, so there's just more information about him, especially in relation to his previous relationships, that's available to the public. Like, Amber Heard really doesn't have that much info about her out in the world. Even now, I mean, clearly this trial did blow up quite a lot of things about her personal life, but in comparison to other celebrities, she's still mostly a private individual. But then also, in addition to that, the information that is public about Amber just wasn't relevant to the abuse allegations, and it's not my fault that Johnny Depp has a lot of information that is relevant to the allegations. He has a long history of violence. He has a long history of being in very intense yet very brief relationships with women, especially women who are significantly younger than him. He also just has like a lot of sus stuff about him, like quotes that he's given to different interviewers that are gross and imply not the greatest perspective on women. He also has really gross friends who are also misogynists in their own horrific ways. Amber doesn't have that stuff. Even all the stuff that this person lists that I didn't include are all things that are just completely irrelevant. Like her license suspension? Who fucking cares? Who cares that she got her license suspended? It's not indicative of her having any sort of, like, patterns of abusive behavior. Now, this commenter didn't say it, but I do know that some Johnny Depp stands do have this weird theory where they think that because Amber Heard had a friend who died in a car accident when she was in high school, and she also had a suspended license around that time that Amber was responsible for that friend's death, which is totally baseless speculation that there would be record of that if she was charged with manslaughter. I don't know why you think we would know about her suspended license and not the fact that she might be responsible for someone's death. That's absurd. But even if she was tried for manslaughter, like... I Killing someone on accident in a car, while it may indicate some irresponsible behavior depending on the circumstances for the incident, it doesn't prove that you're capable of domestic violence. They're kind of separate things still, both horrible, killing people in your car is bad, but it's still, you'd have to do a lot of extra stuff to prove to me that it is at all indicative of a behavior of domestic abuse. <sighs> Whatever, it's, it's stupid. I, I shouldn't even entertain that notion because it definitely didn't happen. Amber Heard did not kill her fucking friend. Shut up. Then there's the next thing that they wrote, which is her co-stars talking about her drug use. Again, irrelevant. Now... To be fair, I do include a lot of stuff in the document about Johnny Depp's drug use, but 
That's because Amber Heard's allegations of abuse were directly related to Johnny's struggles with substance abuse. They are directly correlated to the allegations. Johnny Depp's allegations, on the other hand, have very little to do with Amber's drug use. Amber has never seemed to have a problem with substance abuse. She maybe uses drugs more than the average person, but like, she's rich, so I, I mean, she might do more drugs than the average person of my income, but I'm not really sure she does more drugs than the average celebrity. They have very good access to drugs and also much less likely to be arrested for doing drugs, so, you know. The fact that Amber, like, snorted coke at Coachella or something doesn't surprise me. And she seems like she's able to show up to things sober and coherent more than Johnny seems. And anyway, Johnny's allegations against Amber have more to do with her alleged borderline personality disorder and her just overall behavior as a human being than they do with her drug use. Amber has very clearly stated that she thought if Johnny could get sober, that their relationship would be fine. Johnny has never made such an allegation about Amber. So I don't care that Amber does drugs. I really don't. And I feel the exact same way about her, quote, living a wild life. First of all, what does that even mean? Second of all, what does that have to do with the abuse allegations? Amber can live a wild life. That's fine. As is her apparently talking about loving older men. I don't know what magazine article this commenter is referencing. I did try to Google, like, Amber Heard loves older men. I couldn't really find anything, but I didn't search that hard because, again, just not really a lead that I think I need to follow because Amber Heard can have a thing for older men and that doesn't, one, make her an abuser, or two, negate any of the abuse that she alleges she endured. I don't know if them saying that Amber loves older men is them trying to argue that because Amber likes older men that the age gap between the two of them couldn't have been problematic? Which, uh, here's the thing about age gaps. If two people are consenting adults and they are willing to put in the work to bridge any sort of gap of influence or power, like, age gaps can be fine in a relationship. It may take some extra work to ensure that the younger party of the relationship doesn't feel intimidated by their older partner and their life experience. But I'm not going to say that it is just a natural thing that the age gap between Amber Heard and Johnny Depp was automatically predatory. They both had very similar careers. He may have had more experience in the industry. But again, if that was something that they were willing to be aware of and to make sure that Johnny's disproportionate experience wasn't something that was used against Amber at any time, that they were still equal partners, the age gap wouldn't just make the relationship abusive. So it's perfectly reasonable for Amber to have gone into the relationship with Johnny not expecting to be abused, even though he was older than her. 
you can't just be like, well, Amber loves older men, so she knew what she was getting into. No! She probably thought that she was gonna be treated with respect, whether he was an older man or not. That's perfectly reasonable. And also, sometimes when you're a young woman, you have desires that are just not good for you, so... Amber Heard having a kink for older men... I mean, maybe that did lead her into some more troubling areas in her life, but... You know what? Shit happens. Doesn't mean she deserved to get punched in the face. But anyway, underneath that comment, the person who posted my page responded and said, the author is continually adding to it. If you have a suggestion, the website has a contact form. And it does. You can go to it right now if you want to. Then somebody else responded to them and said, The person says so, but I pointed out that her article is wrong or at least misstates the staircase incident. The quote-unquote article writer, and I'm going to talk about this more in a second, but for some reason these people get really weird about the word article says Whitney collaborated, I'm assuming they mean corroborated, Amber's story, which is something she didn't do in her testimony in the U.S. at least. Or there are at least a big discrepancy between their testimonies. Now, when I first read this comment, I got really mad because the way that they've written this, the, the person says so, but I pointed out, I was like, I didn't get a message from anyone talking about that incident, though. What is this person talking about? Like, I thought that they had just made that up, that they had pointed this out. Then I realized that someone, presumably this person, did respond to the original tweet I made when I posted my page. And in the tweet, they said, Staircase incident needs an update as it only states Whitney collaborated her sister's version while their versions differ quite a bit. Now, again, when they say collaborated, I'm assuming they mean corroborated. Regardless, I paid a lot less attention to the Twitter responses than I did to people who actually messaged me. If this person had messaged me from my contact form, I would have asked them, what they mean by this, because Whitney did pretty much corroborate Amber's story. They say there's big discrepancies between their testimonies, but there's really not. There's maybe some small discrepancies, but that's really normal for an incident that happened years prior to them making a statement about it in court, and they are two different people with different perspectives who probably just remember things a little differently. And none of the small things that's different between the two accounts, like I know at one point Whitney had said something about Johnny's cast on his arm, but then Amber hadn't mentioned that. It's like, that's a really small difference. It's not a big deal in the overall narrative. And this is something that I find about how people have been parsing this trial overall. They start to get really, really picky about things that Amber and or Amber's witnesses said that they can poke small holes into and then act as if that's like a breakthrough in the case. For instance, do you remember that like TikTok sound that people were mocking for a while and making those like in horrible taste videos in which 
Amber had said that Johnny slapped her and then she turned to look at him and people were like, how can you turn to look at him if he already said, like, it was stupid. They were basically calling her a liar because the way that she worded the event made it seem like she was standing in a different position than she probably was. She probably just worded it weird, like people do sometimes. You know how sometimes when you're talking and you're just trying to get information out, you're not talking like the most carefully, and sometimes you say things that are a little weird or hard for other people to understand? You know how you do that in like a normal everyday situation? It's also possible to do that when you're under a lot of pressure in front of a jury. So, yeah, there are small things that Amber or her witnesses or whomever else have said that you can poke holes into because they're human beings talking about situations that happened years ago. They're not going to get every detail correct and their stories are not going to perfectly match up with one another. But in the case of Whitney and Amber on the staircase, their accounts are broadly the same. And I know that they're broadly the same, number one, because I listened to both of their testimonies, and I did not notice any huge discrepancies, but also because the amount of tiny little nitpick suggestions that I got from Johnny's supporters. Just the weirdest shit of small words that I used to describe something where they were like, I think that this word would be a little more appropriate. Tiny fucking details that don't fucking matter. If I was getting those suggestions and I somehow missed huge discrepancies between Amber and Whitney's story for the staircase incident, there would be more than one person telling me about it. Let's even be generous and say two people if we assume that the Reddit commenter and the person who replied on Twitter aren't the same person, which they probably are because they worded it pretty much the exact same. I still think if it was really that big of a discrepancy between the two accounts, more people would have said something. But they didn't, so yeah. Whitney corroborated Amber's story. That's it. And if we jump down to this other comment, this is what I'm talking about with the whole article thing. So someone wrote, Not sure if this is supposed to be an article, question mark? If so, it's not well structured, too long, and has a lot of holes, aka missing information. Not sure if this is a good source of their full relationship and their accusations. Even the general accusations don't start off right. Again, if this person had said something like that to me personally, if they had sent me a message on my contact information, I would have asked them what they think isn't right about what I wrote. What I really find funny though is the not sure if this is supposed to be an article question mark. So like the other commenter that put article in quotes, I never said it was an article. I said it was a page or a document or a resource. I don't really know what the definition of an article is specifically to say if it is or isn't an article, like what are the qualifications for that, but also who cares? What does it being an article have anything to do with anything? Is that like the standard of legitimacy to these people that things are only real and worth taking seriously if it's an official article? I, I don't get it. I don't understand how this is a criticism of the content on the page. 
how much do you have to be digging for criticisms that whether or not it's an article, which I never said it was, is your like number one first thing that you mention? I, I feel like if you had something better to contribute, you would have done that. But what do I know? I don't even write well-structured articles on pages that I never claimed were articles. And then someone at the bottom of the page accuses me of being an Amber Heard supporter, which by this point, I had never said. Never claimed to be an Amber Heard supporter when this post was made and when that commenter wrote that comment. But let's run back to Twitter for a second because this was one of my favorite interactions I've really ever had on the internet. So it starts with someone with a Johnny Depp profile picture saying, Your timeline skips some critical facts. Amber defied court order to turn over her phones, so you don't have her text to her co-conspirator friends. UK trial expert even stated her photos were manipulated. You have no direct testimony from Amber's friends, even her therapist. So let's break this one down. Number one, the idea that Amber defied court order to turn over her phones is blatantly false. This is one of those prevailing myths that seems to dominantly exist within the Johnny Depp stan community. It's not one of the like wider spread myths, but it is out there and it's not true. Amber gave her evidence, gave her text messages, her phone data, everything that was asked of her. She was completely cooperative. Now, Johnny Depp's team neglected to turn in some full audio files that Amber's attorneys were requesting because he turned in very clearly edited files, but that's neither here nor there. I think really if you want to play the game of who turned in what, Team Johnny really doesn't have a leg to stand on. Then there was the UK trial expert even stated her photos were manipulated. Mm, no. Uh, first of all, what do you mean by photos? All of them? No, definitely not. There were some instances where they said they could not confirm the metadata, so they can't say for sure that it was or wasn't manipulated, but that was on a select amount of photos, a very small number. Like, I really can only think of one off the top of my head, but... I also, like, I haven't memorized that, so don't quote me. But most of the photos, they said, yeah, these are legitimate. They were not edited. The metadata says that they were taken on the dates that Amber says they were taken on. So, again, huge, huge lie. There is evidence that Johnny Depp manipulated his images, but let's not talk about that. But the best claim in this tweet is that I have no direct testimony from Amber's friends, which wasn't true. There is testimony on the page from Amber's friends, from both the US and the UK trial. And I told them that in my responding tweet. Then they wrote, Forget about Io and the other guy. Rocky refused to take the stand. Lots of people refused to take the stand. Not true. Rocky did take the stand. Lots of other people also took the stand, including Rocky's former husband. There were a lot of witnesses for Amber. So I responded, 
with the video of Rocky's testimony. To which they wrote back, I am stopping this conversation. Not interested in the spin. Bitch, what spin? What spin? It's just a video disproving the thing that you just said. That's not spin. You just said something that wasn't true. And blatantly so. Like, I really don't understand at this point. Are these people living in a different reality? Where Rocky just didn't testify? And I somehow, a random Twitter user, managed to, like, deepfake this video that was posted by another human being, like, over a month ago? But the most hilarious thing to me, really, is that this person, immediately after responding to me, then blocked me. But then if you go to their Twitter account, their cover photo is a screenshot of someone else who blocked them. Kind of giving the impression that like, oh, this other person blocked me because they're scared of the truth I'm telling. I just find that very ironic with like anyone who ever complains about someone blocking them because they tend to be the people in my experience who are also the fastest to block you. And then, of course, I also just got accused of being on Amber Heard's PR team or being a bot. But don't worry, we're going to talk about bots more in a little bit. All I can do right now is assure you that I am not one. Unfortunately, I am a real human being with real human feelings, okay? So leave me alone. And stop fucking tagging me in random shit. I will just get random notifications now from accounts that I think actually might be bots. Just saying I work for Amber Heard's PR team and you know what I wish I did because I'd at least be getting paid to deal with this bullshit. But unfortunately, I, I'm doing this pro bono. Sorry. But let's talk about some myths now. Okay, so... The first ones that I have here are just more like, again, people going off vibes and not really providing any evidence beyond the vibes of the situation. So the first I have is Johnny's kids hate Amber. And then the second is Johnny's kids hate Johnny. Obviously, these two points are coming from the separate camps. Team Johnny wants everyone to believe that his kids have always hated Amber, and they hate her now, and they're also unwaveringly in support of their father. And while that may not be untrue, we also just don't really know. The most that Johnny's kids have really talked about this entire thing is Johnny's daughter Lily Rose posted something on Instagram that said that her father was like the most amazing guy who had never hurt a soul, yada yada right after Amber's abuse allegations came out. So that definitely did seem like she was taking her dad's side. But let's also remember that that was a couple years ago, and we don't know what she was even aware of about the allegations at the time, and she hasn't really spoken about it since, nor has her brother Jack. So we don't know what either of those kids think about Amber or their father. Johnny says that they hated her and didn't show up to their wedding because of that, but there are also text exchanges between Amber and Lily Rose and also Lily Rose and Johnny, which indicates that at least for a portion of time, Lily really liked Amber. And that doesn't mean that her opinion never changed about her, but it definitely doesn't seem like it was an immediate permanent thing that Amber came into Johnny's life and she was immediately like, oh, fuck that bitch, get away from my dad. So, 
I don't know. I don't want to just take anyone else's word for it. I would rather just hear from the people themselves, that being Lily Rose and Jack, and they haven't said anything, so... That is just unprovable. We don't... we don't know. Now the next one is definitely provable, and I don't understand how this rumor got so far, but... There's an idea that Amber's parents side with Johnny, and that's definitely not true. Now, I talked about it in my five-hour episode about the allegations. Amber's parents were definitely more friendly with Johnny post the divorce and post the initial abuse allegations than I think Amber would have been comfortable with or was comfortable with. But they also pretty clearly did side with Amber, ultimately, and continue to, so... Yeah, let's just say it right now. Amber's parents are Team Amber. Then the next one is Amber abused Elon Musk. This is purely speculative. Amber dated Elon a little bit after divorcing Johnny. Possibly she started dating him while her and Johnny were still together, but that is, again, just speculation. I don't care, also. Like, <laughs> things between Amber and Johnny were pretty chaotic, so I really can't say that I would blame her for having a side piece. I, I mean, I don't encourage people to cheat on their spouses, but in a situation like this, I can understand why someone would. Anyway, Amber started dating Elon, and there's a couple photos of him, like, having some bruises on his arms or something that people have then just decided were caused by Amber. And uh, this is just people making stuff up. Uh, we don't know any of that, and... Bruises can come from any place. I get bruised constantly, and I have no idea where any of my bruises come from because I'm just as delicate as a little tomato. And I would not appreciate it if people made assumptions about my body just because they didn't like my partner. I, it's just stupid. But going off that, there's also the rumor that Jason Momoa hates Amber. And again... No evidence. In fact, evidence to the contrary. So, prior to the trial starting, there were a lot of people saying that Jason Momoa was, like, the reason that Amber Heard got fired from Aquaman 2 or something. I, I don't know. I'm not keeping up with the whole DC movie thing, so I think that she actually is in the sequel, but has a limited part. I don't know. Whatever the situation with that is, the rumor was that Jason Momoa wanted Amber out. It has since come out that, in fact, Jason was advocating to keep Amber in the movie. And after the verdict was made in the U.S. trial, Jason liked both Johnny's Instagram post and Amber's, so it's kind of impossible to say what side of that he falls on, but he certainly was not trying to get Amber fired, and there is no evidence that he dislikes her as a human being. And then the next one is particularly absurd, and that is that Amber stole her rape allegations from her assistant at the time, Kate James. So Kate, who testified against Amber in both the UK and the US, was Amber's assistant. She was fired by Amber. I've got more on her later. But she claimed that she confided her own account of being sexually assaulted in Brazil to Amber during her employment, and then during the trial, Amber used aspects of Kate's story to concoct her own allegations of being raped by Johnny, and 
For one thing, their stories aren't really that similar. Kate's is just not specific enough to say that anyone stole her allegations. She just said that she was raped at knife point, and then Amber said that she was raped by Johnny and he put a bottle in her vagina. Like, I don't see how those two things are really that connected other than the general through line of sexual violence, but in that case, then literally anyone who's ever alleged to have been sexually assaulted is stealing Kate James's story. And that's just absurd. But then also, so this is an allegation that Kate made in the UK trial. She said that about Amber's rape story. However, Amber's rape allegations in that trial were sealed. So Kate wasn't even aware of the specifics about what Amber was alleging. How could she say that Amber stole her story? It's just, it's just stupid is what it is. It's just a stupid thing to say. Then the next one is Amber claimed that Johnny broke her nose. She never did that. Now, in one of her allegations, she recounted being hit in the nose so hard that she for a moment thought that it was broken but she never actually accused Johnny of breaking her nose, especially by the time that they were actually making allegations on record in court. So this, is, this one is just really stupid because any time that you look at photos from Amber from around the time of the relationship, people will be like, oh yeah, she looks like she's totally got a broken nose here. Like mocking her as if to say that of course her nose isn't broken in this clip of her on the James Corden show. But also Amber never said that her nose was broken while she was on the James Corden show. That's just something that other people decided. They exaggerated Amber's claims for her and then chastised her for not looking like she's suffering the injuries that they said she claimed she had, even though she didn't claim that. Just, just stupid, just setting her up to look more like a liar by making it seem like she had alleged things she never alleged. <sighs> I hate the fucking internet. And then there's the claim that all of Johnny's exes have stated he was never abusive. He doesn't have any sort of history of abuse in his past. Not true. Not only do we have the in-court testimony from Ellen Barkin, who said that Johnny was violent, though not physically violent directly toward her, but just violent in general, throwing things, breaking things, etc. She also said that he was verbally abusive. And even though she didn't testify or use the word abusive, a lot of the tactics that Amber would later describe as a part of the abuse she faced were also corroborated by Jennifer Gray, who said that Johnny behaved in a lot of the same ways during their relationship. One of the big things that Johnny Stans will use to defend him is the fact that Winona Ryder testified on his behalf in the UK, but like, did she? She did initially make a statement, yes, and that statement has been spread across social media and has been put on multiple court documents, but in 2020, Winona actually hired Matt Rosengart aka Daddy Rosengart from the Free Britney campaign, as well as the ongoing Justice for Britney campaign. Winona hired him to get her testimony, like, retracted. She didn't want it used in the trial. I don't know why. Maybe she changed her mind about how she felt about Johnny and their previous relationship, 
or maybe she just didn't feel comfortable speaking on it. The way that Johnny treated her in the 90s is not necessarily representative for how he treats all of his domestic partners throughout his entire life, so maybe she just decided that it's not something she should be giving testimony for. I don't know, I think that would be pretty reasonable, but the point is, is that this quote that keeps going around about Winona Ryder supporting Johnny Depp isn't necessarily representative of how she currently feels because she didn't want that quote used in a court. She did not want to be a character witness on behalf of Johnny Depp. So please leave Winona out of this. Thanks. Now along with that, a lot of people have spread the idea that Amber has a history of domestic abuse, and that is also not really true. There was the time that she got arrested on suspicion of domestic violence, but Amber has denied that, and so did her alleged victim. And unless I get other evidence to the contrary, I'm not just gonna not believe Tasia because I keep a general attitude of trust victims, believe victims, and that means believe victims when they say that they're not a victim and that what other people who are not them said happened didn't actually happen. So yeah, I believe Tasia. Until she comes out saying something else, I'm gonna continue believing that. Also, let's have it noted too that Amber was never charged with anything, and she actually got the record of her arrest deleted from those records in 2011. The fact that she had ever been arrested only became public knowledge after Amber made her allegations against Johnny, which feels pretty convenient. Now another thing that Amber has been accused of stealing, outside of Kate James's very vague, not very specific rape allegations, is a line from the talented Mr. Ripley movie, which people have said that Amber quoted in her opening statement, which is hilarious because Amber didn't make an opening statement. Her attorneys did. That's, that's how people normally approach opening statements, is their attorneys handle those. And at no point did Amber rip off the talented Mr. Ripley movie. I, it's literally just a thing that someone made up and other people believed for no good reason. Then there's the myth that Amber lied about using a specific Milani palette to cover bruises on her face. So this was another just oopsie of Amber's attorneys. because they're bad at their job. They're not bad at their job, I just, I think that they really didn't realize how much scrutiny everything was going to be under, especially in relation to just PR. I think they were very naive going into that trial, and it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. So while explaining that Amber had covered up bruises using color correction palettes, not necessarily from any particular brand, she happened to use an example of a Milani palette that didn't exist while Amber and Johnny were still married, prompting Milani to make a public statement for no good reason, you know, just sticking their nose into something that they have nothing to do with and should have just not fucking commented on it because they're a makeup brand and this is an allegation revolving abuse. So totally inappropriate, but they made like a TikTok, just so professional, saying that, oh, well, 
our palette didn't exist at that time, so Amber must be a liar. I don't know if they specifically said that Amber was a liar, but that was clearly the implication, that because their palette didn't exist at the time that Amber would have been using it, she was making it up. But it, the palette was literally just an example of what a color-correcting kit looks like. In fact, when Amber was on the trial and she was explaining to the jury that she would use color correction kits, she held up a palette. I don't know if this was also a Milani one, but she says, I would use a palette like this, not necessarily this one. So even Amber clarified that like, oh, this isn't like specifically what I used, but this is just an example so you can understand. And that's, I mean, they should have gotten a palette that she actually used, but I don't, <laughs> I don't think they were expecting this to become such a fucking stupid point of debate. Reasonably. I mean, the internet really did outdo itself with uncharitability for this case. I mean, I always knew that, you know, Twitter is hell overall, but I didn't. I didn't know that it was going to get this bad. Now, in relation to Amber's makeup, there's also a weird idea going around that Amber doesn't like red lipstick. So, this I'm going to quote directly from someone who sent me a message, and I also want to be clear that I am not trying to come for the person who sent me this message at all. They were totally lovely, we had some correspondence, they were nice, they did definitely seem to be like Team Johnny, so a lot of the stuff that they were suggesting as edits for my page were coming from that lens, but that's completely fine. I want to get reactions from everyone. As long as everyone's being level-headed and charitable and approaching these conversations with good faith, I'm fine receiving any evidence from any side. So they sent me this message. It says, I'm pretty sure Melanie also says something in her declaration about how Amber hates a red lip. This particular lip color was garish and something she would never wear. Plenty of other information on the internet is pointing out that Amber's makeup signature is in fact a bold red lip which can be borne out by many contemporaneous pictures that had been taken of her on Getty's images and similar. This red lip looks interchangeable to those in my opinion. So their point here is that Melanie or someone alleged that Amber hates wearing red lipstick and that was significant because on the James Corden show, uh, Amber was wearing red lips, which Melanie said was to cover up a cut that she had had on her lip. So the idea here is that Amber wears red lipstick all the time, so that wasn't true, that Amber maybe was just wearing red lipstick on the James Corden show just because that's what she wears and it wasn't to cover anything up. Here's the thing, though. Amber not only never said that she hates red lipstick, nor did Melanie. Melanie never said that Amber hates red lipstick. Melanie, in her testimony, actually said red lipstick is Amber's signature color, but on this particular date, we also just didn't have a choice. So yes, Melanie does bring up the fact that they had to use this particular lipstick in order to cover the cut on Amber's lip, but she never said that Amber wouldn't have worn that lipstick in a different setting. I am not trying to come for the person who sent me this claim because they fully believed it. they weren't trying to get one over on me and they were totally fine to speak with. They weren't nasty in the slightest, but it's just like, upsetting for me to have to get messages like this from people who are seemingly pretty intelligent and also just decent people with stuff that is provably false because it really just draws my attention to 
how much misinformation was spread about this trial. For a totally reasonable person to think something that is just glaringly in contradiction to evidence. And like they said at the beginning of this tip, they said, I'm pretty sure Melanie also says something in her declaration. So they didn't have like a specific thing to point to. They're just going off of memory. And that's the really kind of disturbing thing is that there was so much misinformation spread that has worked its way into people's memories that they don't feel like they need to fact check things because when people repeat stuff over and over again, you do just start to take that as like, oh yeah, that must be what happened, because why would all these people fucking lie about it? And it's not even that all those people were intentionally lying, it's that a lot of them were just also misinformed, and misinformation, when it's repeated a lot, eventually just becomes a part of a cultural mythology that, whether the claims are accurate or not, is going to have an effect on later developments. Let's move on to just the misconceptions. So this first one actually came from the same person that sent me the thing about the red lipstick. They wrote to me, For Morgan Tremaine, think it's important to include that he specifically gave the lie to Heard's claim in the UK that TMZ has an office at the courthouse, instead saying they specifically had to be called to show up there in order to show up. Now this is one that I really, really wanted to address because really just Morgan Tremaine's entire testimony was so manipulative and bad. I don't know another way to describe it because he didn't say anything of note. He really didn't make any allegations about Amber Heard or the allegations in the trial. He just said a lot of things that are technically true, but he said them separately yet in a context that makes them seem like they are something that they are not. So let me just explain what that means. So Morgan Tremaine was called as a witness in the U.S. trial because he was the field assignment manager working for TMZ at the time that Amber first filed her restraining order against Johnny, and also when TMZ published the video that Amber had taken of Johnny in the kitchen. You know, that whole video? came out before any of the audio recordings. One of the first things post-restraining order that actually showed some of the things that Amber was alleging against Johnny. So Morgan's testimony was pretty short, but he pretty much made two implications. The first thing he implied was that Amber had been the one to send that video to TMZ. He implied this by saying, number one, that they got that video in TMZ's, like, tip mail thing, which, sure, yeah, I mean, that's how they get a lot of their information, I guess, is just through tips that people send in. So that doesn't really tell us anything. But then the other thing that he said, and this one, oh my god, it really fucking pissed me off, because this is something that I know is so easy to trick people with, because a lot of people just don't understand how these systems work. But so he tries to imply, and Amber's attorneys also try to imply in the way that they question him, that because when they get a tip that is some sort of multimedia file, so a video, a photo, whatever, they have to get license to publish the photo from the copyright holder. 
So Morgan doesn't say that they got Amber's permission to share the video, but the way that they put the questions near each other, it makes it seem like that's what happened. Because they're not going to publish something without getting the license from the copyright holder, right? And Amber is the copyright holder because she made the video. So clearly, Amber must have given TMZ the permission to publish this video. Except that's not how that works because while that is generally true, yes, you do need to get a license from the copyright holder to share something like that because that's intellectual property. It doesn't really apply in this case because there are exceptions to copyright law. If you watch like YouTube reaction videos or commentary videos, anything like that, or content that's acting as a parody of some other intellectual property, that's covered under fair use. As long as the work is transformative and as long as it's seen that whatever the new use of something is, like if you're putting a reaction to it, it's not going to get in the way of the copyright holder being able to make money off it themselves. I think a lot of people know that because again, there's a lot of reaction commentary channels online. People get that fair use is a thing. And fair use is something that's protected by the First Amendment, which gives us freedom of speech and freedom of expression. And something else that the First Amendment protects is the freedom of press. So if something is decided to be a matter of public concern, you can share it without getting the license from the copyright holder. And that's what TMZ almost certainly did with that video, whether Amber sent it to them or not. They didn't need Amber's permission to publish it because Amber and Johnny Depp are two public figures. Amber had already made allegations about domestic violence regarding her relationship with Johnny Depp. So that video is considered newsworthy. You don't need to get a license to share that. This is something that's also kind of relevant when it comes to celebrity sex tapes. And I talked about that a little bit in one of my episodes about the Kardashians, which that series will be coming back soon, as soon as I'm done talking about, you know, this trial bullshit. But that's just something that I think people need to know, because copyright law and the things that your First Amendment protects, it's really important to knowing your rights as an American. I mean, maybe you're not listening to this as a citizen of the US, but for those of us who live in the United States, these are rights that everyone should be informed about, and I really don't appreciate Morgan Tremaine going into that fucking courtroom and manipulating information to make it seem like copyright works in a different way than it actually does. Just to have one over on Amber Heard for what fucking reason, by the way? Just odd. Now to talk about the other implication that Morgan made, let's go back to that message that I received. So this person definitely did fall for what Morgan is trying to sell. And what Morgan is trying to sell is, again, just really manipulative and not dishonest, but not truthful either. So the person who emailed me is correct in that Amber claimed in the UK that TMZ has an office in the LA courthouse. Now, I don't know about that being true in a really literal sense. I don't know if they have a physical office in the courthouse. Maybe they do. Maybe they have like a van. Maybe they have just like a, a, an office beside the courthouse and maybe in like an adjoining building. I don't know. I don't know what the 
physical setup of the LA courthouses, and I don't know where any sort of office space is for press around that area. But I do know that TMZ does keep employees stationed at that courthouse full time. At least they did as late as 2016, which is when The New Yorker published claims that TMZ keeps three reporters stationed full-time at the LA courthouse. By comparison, the Los Angeles Times only had one court reporter when that article was published. So TMZ's got it fucking locked and loaded down in LA, and I can't imagine that they've downsized that. If they had three people in 2016 at the courthouse, I think there's probably still at least three people there now because the amount of lawsuits that have become the center of a lot of entertainment discourse is not really letting up. I have to imagine it's still pretty lucrative for TMZ to be getting their hands on any sort of correspondence that might have anything to do with celebrities in the fucking LA court system. Especially when you factor in that that's where a lot of Britney's conservatorship battles have been going on. So yeah, I imagine TMZ, they're still down there. All three employees, if not more at this point. And those three employees are there because they need to go through court documents immediately as they come in. That's why TMZ often has these exclusive reports on shit that's happening with celebrities and their ongoing legal issues. They obviously have a lot of connections in the industry, but they also are just everywhere. They know where stories are gonna break, and they station people there. So often, TMZ gets to those papers before they're even fully filed. Which is probably how they knew that Amber was filing a restraining order against Johnny. There were probably just TMZ employees in the building who saw her and then told Morgan Tremaine to call the paparazzi over there, because that's what Morgan Tremaine said happened. He gave the implication that he was tipped off about the fact that Amber was going to be stepping out of the courthouse with bruises on her face after filing a restraining order, and that's used to imply that Amber or her team were the ones that tipped them off, but TMZ was already in the courthouse. I don't see any reason to doubt that TMZ was the one giving Morgan the tip. I think they probably just saw Amber, called Morgan, and were like, hey, get some paparazzi down here. And this is where I get really frustrated because, again, Morgan is being really manipulative in how he phrases this. So Johnny's attorneys asked Morgan, would you normally have paparazzi stationed at the courthouse? To which Morgan responded, no. It's not really a hot spot where we wait to take photos of celebrities. And that's true, but also, that doesn't contradict what Amber said. This does not disprove the fact that TMZ employees were in the courthouse. All it proves is that Morgan called paparazzi. Paparazzi are different from the regular court reporters, okay? The court reporters in the courthouse are not photographers. They are people who have special training, who probably have backgrounds in law, to be able to go through the court documents and read them so they know what to report on. That's not paparazzi. So yes, Morgan is correct in that he did have to call the paparazzi down to the courthouse. But Amber never said they stationed paparazzi there. She said they stationed 
employees there. And the fact, too, that Morgan would have to call people to a specific place, like, yeah, that's how paparazzi works. There are very few places where paparazzi just hang out waiting for celebrities. If there are, it's like nightclubs where they know celebrities are going to frequent, and it's going to be on, like, specific days and specific times. But, yeah, a courthouse, of course they have to be called there. That's not a revelation. It was just set up in the trial to make it seem like that information somehow contradicted Amber's account, and it didn't. But most people don't know, like, how paparazzi and TMZ works. They're just exploiting people's ignorance about things that people deserve to be ignorant about. I'm not saying that if you don't know how TMZ works and you were conned by this manipulation that you're stupid. Why would anyone know this shit? They're doing it on purpose because they know that most people don't know about it. And that's why it would have been really great if some fucking journalists had gotten on this story and were reporting on it as the trial went on to disprove some of the shit. They know how that shit works and they just, they didn't say anything and they just let this fucking misconception spread across the entire internet and act like this was information that somehow disproves everything Amber says. And then this also correlates to the next one. So after the trial was over and the verdict was made, Amber did an appearance on, I think it was Good Morning America or something, something like that. One of those, like, one of those shows that mostly just does, like, fluff pieces and occasionally has a good interview every once in a while, but not often. And yeah, Amber did an interview. It was very light. It was, honestly, I think not a great look for Amber, but... I'm not a part of her PR team. If I were, she'd be doing stuff a lot differently. But one of the things that a lot of anti-Amber people focused on was the fact that in an early ad for the interview, there was a clip that didn't end up becoming a part of the full interview that aired. Now, what that was is kind of irrelevant. It's a very small piece. I honestly don't even remember what the, what the point was. And it doesn't matter because... Most of the criticism that I saw was not even saying that what was clipped out must have been really significant. It was people just criticizing the interview for the fact that something was clipped out, period. There's an idea of like, oh my god, if they could edit that out, imagine what else they edited out. And then that corresponds to some theory where Good Morning America or whatever fucking show it was is like conspiring with Amber and trying to lessen the blow on her, which I don't know why they would do that, because certainly they would have gotten a lot more viewers if they really let the interview be a big train wreck. The fact that something was edited out of the interview is just a reason for people to be suspicious, and this is what I have to say about that. Things are edited out of interviews like that literally all the time. Literally all the time. And I saw some people who were like, it's just so hard to trust because... The edit was so seamless, like, you can't even tell, and that's, that's what makes me feel weird about it, is, like, what else could they have edited out? They could edit out anything, and they do, frequently, in every interview like that that you see, because those conversations take place over a very long period of time that they then have to squeeze into whatever the time segment is on the show. So it could be, like, a two-hour interview that they have to smush into a 15-minute segment. Obviously, there's going to be lots of edits. And most of the time, the edits just aren't that significant. They're not editing out the most juicy details. 
I don't know why they would do that unless it was incriminating for them, but in this case particularly, the interviewers had nothing to gain from Amber embarrassing herself, so <laughs> it would have been better for their ratings to leave in any ridiculous thing that Amber says. Most of the edits people make on these shows are just for clarity, for coherence to make the conversation appear a lot smoother than it actually was. And the conditions for those interviews are perfect for edits because there are two cameras to get Amber shot and then the shot of the interviewer, which means that anything you edit in audio, you can just cover up by going to the other camera. And they're in rooms where there's like a boom mic or maybe a lavalier mic, something that's not super sensitive to movement. So they can chop up sentences really easily and there's not a lot of background noise. It's a great system for editing. That's why it's set up like that. So if the fact that that interview was edited at all is reason for you to not trust it, just don't watch those shows, period, because those interviews are all edited. Every single one of them, I promise you. You are not seeing raw footage. It's standard practice, and most of the time, it's not nefarious. Going back to the trial, though, the next misconception is that Amber was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and histrionic personality disorder. Now, this comes from a very understandable place because there was a forensic psychologist who took the stand as a witness for Johnny, who evaluated Amber for roughly 12 hours and says that she believes Amber has symptoms of borderline and histrionic. She also said that Amber doesn't seem to have symptoms of PTSD or that she's faking her symptoms of PTSD and likely doesn't actually have that. So there's a couple things that I think need to really, really be emphasized about forensic psychology. Number one, a forensic psychology assessment is not the same thing as a diagnosis that happens within a clinical setting. Amber was not being treated by this psychologist. She was just being assessed for 12 hours. There is already no objective way to diagnose a personality disorder. There's no objective way to diagnose most psychiatric disorders or maybe even any. They're just kind of guesses based on like clusters of symptoms. They're approximations pretty much. It's a psychiatrist looking at someone's behavior and the symptoms that they're reporting and then being like, oh, kind of matches up with what other people who have been diagnosed with this experience. That's it. So any psychiatrist can just be wrong in their diagnosis. Now, especially with this case, forensic psychology, for one thing, is not super reliable. Really, any forensic science is kind of questionable. You have to take everything with a grain of salt. This stuff isn't infallible. It's just professionals who have some expertise in things looking at a very limited amount of data and making an assessment off of that. So in 2020, ABC News looked at a study that took hundreds of different psychological tests used in recent court cases. And the study found that a quarter of them were deemed unreliable. And a quarter is like kind of a lot quarter of all of the things that they looked at from recent court cases for psychological testing with forensic psychology, unreliable. And when it comes to diagnosing personality disorders, 
those are really complex and most psychologists would need to have a patient coming into regular sessions over the course of like weeks to months in order to be confident with their diagnosis. And Dr. Curry, the forensic psychologist that Johnny Depp hired, only assessed Amber for 12 hours. So that's a pretty insufficient amount of time compared to the average time frame for a diagnosis within clinical settings. And we should also just note too that a clinical setting is incredibly different from being assessed by your ex-husband's hired expert witness. So according to Dr. Curry, Amber claimed to be suffering from 19 out of 20 of the major symptoms for post-traumatic stress disorder, which is not typical for someone even with a severe case of PTSD. That was what she used to decide that Amber had been exaggerating her symptoms of PTSD and likely didn't actually suffer from the disorder. But imagine if you're being assessed for PTSD by your abusive ex-husband's psychologist, might you not exaggerate your symptoms a little bit just out of pure defensiveness? I think that would be pretty natural. I'm not saying that that's what everyone would do, but I think it'd be pretty understandable if somebody did. Because you know that that psychologist was literally hired by your ex to contradict anything you say and to undermine your own claims of having PTSD. Might Amber have just exaggerated her symptoms to try to counteract that? Yeah, and that doesn't mean that she doesn't actually have PTSD. Amber wouldn't have been unreasonable to be defensive about how she's being assessed by Dr. Curry because Dr. Curry was literally paid by Johnny's team and they were only going to use her testimony if it benefited them. Do you think that Johnny's attorneys would have put Dr. Curry on the stand if they weren't pretty sure that she was going to say, Amber doesn't have PTSD, Amber's a liar? Like, if she was going to get up there and be like, oh yeah, Amber is definitely telling the truth, she's fucked up. Johnny probably has something to do with it. No, they're not gonna do that. That wouldn't benefit them at all. They're paying her to give a testimony that's favorable to them. That doesn't mean that Dr. Curry was lying. Dr. Curry could very much believe exactly everything she said on that stand, but she's also kind of biased because she's being paid by Johnny. Johnny and his attorneys allegedly, or actually not allegedly, they admitted to doing this, they told Dr. Curry prior to her assessing Amber that they believed Amber suffered with borderline personality disorder. And that's fine. They can say what they think might be the result of the assessment. And that doesn't mean that Dr. Curry went into it being like, okay, yeah, I'm definitely going to diagnose her with borderline no matter what. But it still might influence the way that she actually assesses Amber's responses to any of the tests she gave her. If you're told... This person probably has borderline personality disorder and you go and meet with that person it's not unreasonable that you would start looking for symptoms of borderline and there's possibly a confirmation bias in just that and also in relation to dr curry's professional expertise she does have an expertise in ptsd but she has an expertise in treating and evaluating ptsd symptoms resulting from military combat and those symptoms are gonna present differently compared to those caused by other traumas. So is it also possible that 
the way Amber's symptoms manifest are just not as familiar to Dr. Curry based on what she has the most experience in treating? Yeah, it's, it's pretty possible. Like, there's a lot of things in relation to Dr. Curry's testimony that doesn't necessarily invalidate everything Dr. Curry said, but does mean that we should look at her testimony with some skepticism. And really, in any case, even if Amber does have borderline personality disorder or histrionic or anything else, it also still doesn't mean that she wasn't abused. And it doesn't mean that she is an abuser herself. It could maybe inform some of the characteristics that Johnny was trying to accuse Amber of having. There are a lot of things that Johnny said that is believable with claims that Amber has a personality disorder. Disorders like borderline can and often do affect the way that people relate to others in their lives, and it can be something that makes them a more difficult person to be in a relationship with. That's not to say that every person who is borderline is like a nightmare to be with. That's not true at all. But there are things that come with personality disorders that affects how people communicate themselves and how they interpret boundaries. So yeah, it's not totally irrelevant to the allegations that Johnny was making, but it's still not really appropriate to just take a quote-unquote diagnosis of borderline personality disorder to then imply that like, oh, of course Amber was the abuser. It's not like a slam dunk piece of evidence. And related to issues about Amber's psychiatric assessment in that she was being assessed in a very unnatural setting that could affect how she gave certain answers to questions, there's also the issue of Amber's courtroom behavior, aka her body language. <sighs> I have long had a grudge against body language experts on YouTube. It's not that I think that body language uh, science, I don't, if you put, put that in heavy quotes for me, please. It's not that I think it's totally illegitimate. There is a lot of stuff about body language and how we communicate with one another non-verbally and things that can indicate different things about what's happening in someone's brain. Like, you know, walking around with hunched shoulders might indicate someone is shy or introverted, stuff like that. But on the whole, the use of body language analysis to decide if someone is trustworthy or just like an overall good or bad person, that is oversimplifying the complexities of human emotion and expression to such an absurd degree, and it, it just drives me insane. You cannot tell if someone is lying based on things like their eye contact or, I don't even know, like, how they move their hands, etc. It's just, it, things don't work like that. There's no way to physically measure a lie. It's a completely, like, abstract concept that does not necessitate a specific physical response. And what I really hate about body language expert content creators, and I should say, not all of them, I guess. I mean, most of the ones that I've come across, but I'm sure there are lovely ones somewhere on the internet and responsible ones. 
The issue that I normally run into, though, is that they are very clearly taking popular topics, making content about that, and then pandering the content to whatever the audience wants to hear. If a certain celebrity is really unpopular, like let's say Ellen DeGeneres, when she was really at the peak of controversy a year or two ago, all the body language expert videos about Ellen were all going to be stuff that proved she was deceptive or secretly a bitch. It's just people picking out the things that the audience already doesn't like about someone and then using pseudoscience pretty much to try to prove those things are true. Like, if you look here, the way that Ellen is moving her hand across her face indicates that she did in fact tell her employees to never look her in the eye. I mean, they're not that specific, but that's the general vibe. It's, let me prove how everything that you think about this person is true by just picking out random things about their physicality. And that definitely happened with Amber Heard. Now, I'm not going to say that Amber's body language wasn't kind of odd. She definitely did in the courtroom. Uh, she just spoke her points in a way that seemed kind of rehearsed, and that's fine. Like, you rehearse before you go to testify. You want to know what you're going to say. But it did come across as unnatural. And as far as having just that in-person charisma, on-the-spot, impromptu. Johnny outperformed her in that Amber came across as someone rehearsing a script more than someone just talking off the top of their head, and Johnny looked like someone who was just rolling out of bed and answering questions that people asked him. But let's be clear, he probably rehearsed those questions just as much as Amber did. He was just a little bit more skilled in how he pulled it off in front of an audience. But it's not really fair to ask Amber to come across as supernatural when she's in a very unnatural setting. And truly, as much as I'm kind of criticizing her for not performing as well in this case as Johnny did and as well as she could have, I also don't think that the way that she behaved in that courtroom would have been anywhere near as remarkable if she wasn't already under such ridiculous scrutiny. Because her, her behavior wasn't really that weird, you know? Like, just taken on its own. She was more or less normal. Even in how she looked at the jury. And this has become another big case, is that people have said that because Amber was looking at the jury so much, she was studying their reactions and adapting her answers based upon that, and that's supposed to prove that she's manipulative or something. Here's the thing, though. Attorneys encourage you to look at the jury. <laughs> like, this is a really common thing. You can look, I, I literally, I googled it. I googled and I went to multiple websites about, like, tips for testifying in a trial. And all of the tips are like, look at the jury. Try to make a connection with the jury. This is from the Wagner Law website, which writes, More than anyone else in that courtroom, it is the jury you want to connect with. You want to be able to help them see you as a real person with real emotions and real problems they want to help you fix. Looking at the jurors while you are testifying will help you build a human connection with each of them. 
that's a really standard piece of advice that's on like almost every fucking attorney's website. I don't know why Amber was picked apart so much for this minor detail, because yeah, she maybe did look at them a little too much, but that is such a petty criticism compared to like, you know, the things that we should have been actually focusing on, like the evidence. And just this idea that her looking at the jury was somehow odd. It's not. It's really not. I can't believe how many separate things other people can freely do that for some reason when Amber Heard does it, it's weird and evidence that she's mentally ill and abusive and toxic. It is so fucking bizarre. Which also gets us to the famed ACLU donation, because when Amber was divorcing Johnny, she pledged to donate her entire settlement from the divorce to two separate charities. One was the ACLU, the other one was a children's hospital. Now, I'm saying that Amber pledged to donate. Amber initially said that she donated the money. That's a really nitpicky difference to make. I mean, celebrities say that they donate stuff all the time, and if you actually look into it, they are, they're pledging or doing some other, like, you know, like little laundry scheme sometimes, you know? They donate money to a charity that they own, and then it doesn't matter. Let's not even get into that. But look, famous and rich people are shady with their money all the time, and a lot of different charity things that they do are sneakily beneficial to them and also just good for their PR overall. So the idea that Amber wasn't completely honest about the nature of her donation, it's such a non-issue to me because, yeah, you can say that about any public figure who has a lot of money who's ever said they donated to anything. They all use really tricky language and hide details about their donations and their finances, and you know what? I mean, it's all just to get a fucking tax break anyway, so who cares? With Amber's situation, though, what people are picking apart is that Amber donated some of the money immediately, then Elon Musk donated some of the money for her. I, that part's, like, alleged. Someone donated that money, and it's assumed that it was Elon Musk because they were dating at the time. But Amber has not been able to make subsequent payments after her first payment because she's been being sued by Johnny. That's what she said. I have heard people try to contradict that by being like, well, she could have just donated it all right at the beginning. Yes, she could have. But here's the thing. A lot of people, when they donate stuff like that, a really large amount of money, a couple million dollars that she was donating, they do it over the course of a couple years because then they can keep claiming it on their taxes. That's a very normal rich person thing to do. It's a little tricky. And yeah, was Amber using some of that money that was in her account at the time? Maybe, like she might've had it earmarked for a donation later, but it's not necessarily just going straight from like divorce settlement to charity. So yeah, in that way, she was a little misleading with what she said. But again, it's really not a big deal, and 
she probably would have been able to continue making those payments yearly as she had said she was going to, as she had discussed with these charities themselves. They knew the deal. They knew what to expect. She'd probably be paying them right now, but she keeps getting fucking sued. So this is such a ridiculous thing for Johnny's team to even bring up because number one, what does Amber Heard being possibly dishonest about a donation actually have to do with her abuse allegations? Maybe we can say at best it contributes to her overall personality and her being not a trustworthy person, but it's also like she wouldn't be a trustworthy person with her money, and I, I don't trust any rich person. They're all tricky little bastards, so... I can't just start accusing all of them of also being domestic abusers. It's ultimately a pretty irrelevant piece of information for the overall allegations that Johnny is making. But then secondly, it's like, okay, well, she would have been able to make more payments to these charities if you hadn't fucking sued her. So <laughs> let's move on to just some weird shit that I saw on the internet. There were a couple different things about Johnny being homophobic in texts that he sent people and also transphobic because he was consistently misgendering Io during his testimony in the US trial. So yeah, I mean, it's not super relevant to the abuse claims, but it is just a criticism of Johnny Depp as a human being. And one thing that I saw Johnny Depp stands countering those claims with was that Johnny can't be homophobic because he's friends with Elton John, did a John Waters film, and occasionally dressed in drag. That is the fucking dumbest shit I've ever heard. It's literally like a I have black friends response to homophobia, and I can't believe these people take that seriously. Like, I, the fact that someone can... Right. Um, he was in the movie Cry Baby, so clearly he's not homophobic. How do you take yourself seriously when you put shit like that out into the world? Whatever. Then there were also things that I saw under a lot of different videos of the testimonies from the U.S. trial that I just thought were really, like, coddling to Johnny. So, for one example, there was Debbie Lloyd's testimony. She was one of the nurses that worked for Dr. Kipper and worked with Johnny. In her testimony, bitch couldn't recall anything. If it wasn't written like verbatim in her notes, she didn't know what anyone was talking about to a suspicious degree. And that's fine, you know, don't perjure yourself, do what you gotta do, but... I thought at least when I scrolled down to the comments, I would see some people reacting to that in like a kind of suspicious way, like, Oh, weird that she can't remember anything that would be helpful to know about. But, no, the reaction in all of the comments was just celebrating the fact that Debbie didn't answer anything that was significant. So I'm going to read some comments that were left under the YouTube videos that I was watching. I am shocked they can bring up an addiction nurse's personal notes on a patient during a trial like this, and I'm loving all the I don't recalls and according to this, yes, protect your patient. Badass nurse protecting herself and patient confidently. Well done. I am stunned that such confidential information is allowed to be exposed and exploited. 
It's cruel to have those personal notes and messages made public. He was in so much pain, trying so hard. I'm glad the nurse didn't recall any of that. You guys, this nurse is doing her very best to not break HIPAA violations. Not easy when your entire life is on trial. Now about the thing about HIPAA, you are absolutely able to disclose a lot of private information about your patients if you get a court order to testify on their medical history. I mean, certain things are still going to be protected, but it's not like if Debbie had given more information to the questions she was directly asked in that court, that she would have been breaking HIPAA rules. She would not have. The fact that she, quote, couldn't recall anything, that was just a choice that she made. It wasn't to protect herself from violating HIPAA. And here is what I have to say about all the people who are just upset about the fact that she would even be asked this stuff about Johnny in a courtroom with cameras and violating his privacy like this. This is a lawsuit that Johnny filed. He knew when he filed it that things like this were going to get brought up. He made that choice. And Debbie Lloyd was a witness that he called his attorneys. This is his witness. The only reason Debbie Lloyd was on the stand being asked those questions about Johnny's medical history is because he directly put her there. This is not an issue in which Johnny's privacy is just being violated by some outside source. It was him. He is the reason that she was being questioned, period, no matter what way you slice it. His lawsuit, his witness... I just, I don't understand this fucking babying of Johnny Depp to be like, oh my god, poor guy. The witness that he called had to answer questions. <laughs> Can you not let Johnny be responsible for any of his own actions? And then I saw the same thing under Christie's deposition. So Christie is Johnny's sister, and someone wrote, the fact that this man has been so private with his own life throughout all of these years and is yet to tell his personal life story under these circumstances makes my blood boil and my heart break. First of all, when was Johnny actually that private with his life? Like, we don't know that many details about him, but he's always been pretty public about who he's dating. He has done lots and lots of interviews. He typically dates other people who are in the industry. So, like, no, I don't feel bad for him. Because, again, this was a situation that he created. He had other avenues to put his story out there if he wanted to. He did not have to sue Amber for defamation. If it was really just about him getting his side of things into the public, could have written a blog post. Could have... Could have made a YouTube video. Lots of, lots of ways for him to do that. He chose to do it in this method because he wanted to humiliate his ex-wife. Let's be fucking honest. And I'm not even saying that as like me speculating or me projecting. I'm saying that because that's what he said in a fucking text message to Christian Carino. Global humiliation. That's what he wanted for Amber. That's what he got. So no. 
He hasn't been that private with his life. He chose to put this into the public eye in the exact manner that he did. I also love, by the way, another comment under Christie's testimony, which said, You can tell his sister is genuine and real up there. Even when she looks at the jury, it's not weird like when Amber does. So much more natural. Like I said, other people can do the things that Amber does, but for some reason, when it's her, it's weird, and when it's other people, it's natural, and it's genuine and real. Fuck off. You know what's not real about Christie's testimony? Is her saying that she has no idea what she was talking about when she sent a text to Johnny telling him to stop booze and stop coke and shit. She was like, oh, I never really saw my brother doing drugs. The person who told me that he was doing a lot of drugs and alcohol was Amber. That's fucking bullshit because we have on record at least Stephen Duders also telling her and Dr. Kipper. Johnny's own doctor emailed Christy and was like, dude, your brother's got a fucking problem. So, yeah, I'm not really taking Christy as being the most genuine and real person to testify in that trial. Because I don't really think she was. And let's also keep in mind, too, Christy is employed by Johnny. She's not just loyal to him as a sister. She makes her money off of his career. And there's, like, a whole bunch of allegations, too, about her, like, low-key freeloading and just taking shit out of his account and spending his money without his knowledge. But, whatever. Now I want to look at comments under Kate James's testimony. Before I do that, though, I want to just say a few things about Kate. So, her testimony? She comes across like a huge bitch. I'm not even gonna fucking beat around the bush. Is every word in those witness statements words that you drafted? Yes. Did anyone provide edits to those witness statements for your consideration? I'm very good at my own editing, I can assure you. That didn't answer my question. Did anyone else provide edits to those witness statements no. for your For all the amount that Amber is criticized for her nonverbal communication, Kate's entire demeanor and the way she speaks and the things she says and how she responds to questions, she just seems so fucking snotty and rude. What were your job duties? Too many to mention. Give me your best summary of what your job duties were, please. Is this relevant? And I'm not being uncharitable. Like, I'm not saying this because I just want to doubt Kate's testimony. I'm I'm perfectly open to the idea that Amber Heard was a horrible boss, but the way that she expresses her frustrations and her resentments of Amber, it's really hard for me to take her seriously. What I'm asking is did you did you come to the conclusion that there was nothing wrong with Miss Heard that day and that she wasn't actually upset? I don't know how to Strange question. Like I said, you already asked me and I already answered. I'm asking to answer it again. I don't think I asked the exact same question, but do your best, please. Could you ask me the question in a different way or a clearer way that is not exactly the same as the last question you asked me? Did you reach the conclusion that day that Miss Heard hadn't experienced anything traumatic? 
Over the course of the day, I observed Miss Hurd enjoying the company of her friends for several hours. That's all I have to say on that matter. And would it be odd for someone who's experienced trauma to want to be around friends? Yeah. To you? Yeah, I, I don't know. Now, you, of course, have no personal knowledge one way or the other whether um, Johnny was abusive to her, correct? Well, I don't know if that's necessarily true, because if it was true, I would have seen the damage, even if I wasn't physically present in the moment of, of these alleged arguments. And what's your basis for that statement? Well, if someone's been beaten, there's generally physical evidence. So your testimony is that if there's if, if there was no physical evidence that you observed, then it couldn't have happened, the domestic violence by Johnny toward Amber. Is that your testimony? No. Well, I'm trying to, to understand what your testimony is. Um, maybe you could clarify for me, Ms. James. Um, is your testimony that um, if you never saw firsthand evidence of Johnny being violent to Amber, that it couldn't have happened? That's not what I said. You're trying to put words into my mouth. I don't appreciate that. And it should be noted as well that in a secret recording that Amber had made where her and her friend Laura were talking about stuff, it doesn't, we're going to talk about it in a second, but they both pretty much just say that Kate was like a horrible employee and kind of is out of her mind, and I don't doubt that. He again was like, you know, um, bottom line, they have Kate under deposition. He's like, do you know she's going through PTSD? That's the only thing. <laughs> Which I don't know if he was like. And I was like, well, she, she's like, you know, you know, you, you have, you've heard Amber yell at her. I said, listen, the only time I have ever, because he's like, he's like, I know for a fact. I said, I, the only time I've ever heard Amber yell at Kate in my entire life was one time during the move. And I said, and honestly, she fucked it up. And I said, there's just no way, you know, I go, other than that, I know nothing about that. And she's like, well, we have it on record that she's called you crying. And that, remember I told you, you've got to get rid of it. You've got to get rid of Kate because she's calling me drunk. And I said, yeah. I go, but Kate's the wrong person. Kate consistently screwed things up all the time. She was a mess. And I didn't say that she was drunk. When, when he was calling me because I didn't want to give him more information on this. So, you know. Do, do you, ha, have you ever um, seen me, I mean, do you think I was verbally abusive to her? No, I literally said no, and this is Because you, I remember you being the strongest advocate for yeah. me firing that's her. That's what I'm saying. So that's, but this guy doesn't want that information, and I told him that too. I said, literally, the only time I ever heard her raise her voice was that phone call because Kate had brought it up so that's why it was it was brought up because he's like well you were visibly visibly where I said the only time I was was when there was a move Kate screwed it up you got it under and he's like and then he went on he's like well Kate Kate would call you up and I said yes I go she was not suited to the job and she screwed up a lot I go she should never have been working with Amber and that's something I literally said he's just wanting because Kate apparently Kate has some sort of vendetta not shockingly to go against you but do you think I, I was verbally abusive to her no I said you were yelling on a, on the phone because all, everybody had heard about it. I told you about that About incident. that just like an yeah. incident? Yeah, just that one incident. I said, never, ever have I heard anything. And then he said, well, would you be shocked to find out that she's got PTSD and she's going to meetings for it? And I'm like, 
I go, in one hand, I would, and in the other hand, I wouldn't because she's completely off the rails. So for multiple reasons, I just gotta say, I'm taking everything Kate says with a grain of salt. I, I don't find her to be a very credible witness. Sorry. And I don't know how other people do, because her attitude is just so bratty. And I, again, thought, like, with the Debbie Lloyd testimony, I was like, oh, I'll scroll down to the comments and see people reacting to that and calling her out for being kind of a brat. And that is not at all what people's response was. They were all just in support of Kate, and there's no fucking way. You cannot tell me that if Amber had given a testimony in the cadence that Kate is giving her testimony, there's no fucking way that people would have been in support of Amber at all and calling her, like, genuine, the way that people are calling Kate genuine. Then with people's responses to the secret recording between Laura and Amber, so I talked about this in the five-hour episode, but if you missed that, basically, Laura had been in contact with Adam Waltman. Well, Adam had gotten in contact with her. He sought her out. He was Johnny's attorney in the UK trial, and he was supposed to be the attorney in the US trial, but he got ejected from the courtroom prior to the trial actually starting because he was basically starting a smear campaign against Amber online. And the former judge who was overseeing the case was like, yeah, no, he can't be, he can't be Johnny's attorney. So he was not a part of the US trial, and it's literally because he was acting so inappropriately that the judge just wouldn't let him be on this case. So, in this secretly recorded phone call, Laura tells Amber that Adam contacted her, coerced her into giving a testimony. Laura calls him like the biggest asshole on the planet. She says that he was super manipulative, that he lied about some things, that he was threatening people pretty much. It's a whole big conversation that Amber recorded and to me, it's really one of the smoking guns in this case. Not totally, but it's something that I think needs a lot more attention. That if Johnny's attorneys were coercing statements from people, that has a lot of implications as to every witness testimony. Every person who's ever said anything anti-Amber, we have to take what they say with a grain of salt because Adam was really tricky about how he got information out of people. And it wasn't very honorable, and it wasn't very honest, and in some cases, with the things that they say on this recording, I feel like it's probably illegal. But I don't know anything about the law, so that's not something that I am alleging. I'm just saying that some of this shit, it sounds like he was just straight up lying to people and threatening them with things that weren't gonna happen if they didn't testify a certain way, but the point is, this phone call should have gotten a lot more attention but the little amount of attention that it did get from Johnny's supporters was just criticizing Amber for secretly recording the conversation in the first place, and yeah, I get it. Secretly recording your friend? Not nice. But, I have to say, if I found out that my abusive ex-husband and or his attorneys were intimidating my friends to testify against me in court, I might sacrifice a friendship and break an all-party consent law to get evidence of it. I I'm just saying. And you know what? I think a true friend would want me to do that. If Laura is a good friend to Amber, 
I think she understands. I don't know about their current standing. I don't know about how Laura felt about that recording being made, but there are such significant allegations made in the recording that if I were Amber, I'd want them out no matter what I had to do. And maybe that makes me a bitch, but you know what? Adam Waldman just shouldn't be able to get away with coercing testimonies out of people, so I'm willing to be a bitch in order to say that that's a thing that is worth exposing. So the fact that none of Johnny Depp's supporters are actually taking anything that Laura and Amber are saying in that phone call seriously just because they think that Amber's an asshole for recording it in the first place? Like, who fucking cares? Set that aside for a minute. And you know what? Johnny secretly recorded things too, so we don't we don't want to start throwing stones about that. Because no one's winning in that argument. And they're also, like, inferring some sort of tone from the way that the conversation progresses that I just don't think is there, and I think has a lot more to do with what they want the phone call to sound like than what it actually sounds like. So here are two comments that indicate what I'm saying. This entire conversation is her sounding terrified of Amber and trying so hard to convince Amber she didn't betray her. She doesn't stop talking. She's going on and on to try to explain every detail in an almost panic state, worried about how Amber will react. When Amber is tripping over her words, you can tell she's struggling to find the right words to coerce her into saying specific things. It's disgusting. You can't record people without their consent in California. How is she allowed to get away with this crap? Okay. Because Amber is tripping over her words, she's trying to find the right words to coerce her? No, she's just having a conversation and she's taking in information as it comes. And sometimes, you know, when you're processing information, you don't speak super clearly. I do it all the time. You can hear it in this podcast of me kind of tripping over some words as I process what I would like to say. And those are all things that are just coming straight from my head. This is a conversation where Amber is receiving new information and reacting to it in real time. Her tripping over words is not weird. It's perfectly fine. And she's also not trying to find the right words to coerce her into saying specific things. Like, there are a couple moments where you can tell that she is trying to get some stuff, like, on recording. But it's not her trying to trick Laura. It's more of, like, she's trying to get Laura to say, like, a very clear sentence that Laura already basically said. So for instance, when Amber and Laura are talking about Kate, Amber asks Laura really directly like, so you never saw me abusing Kate. That was already very much the subtext of the conversation that they were having and that Laura brought up by herself and Amber is just trying to get it in one sentence. Is it a little bit manipulative because she knows that she's recording this and she wants to get that in a very clear soundbite? Yeah, but she's not tricking Laura into saying something that Laura doesn't believe. Laura already pretty clearly articulated those points just in a more roundabout way. And Laura does not sound terrified of Amber. If anything, she sounds terrified of Adam. She sounds really shaken from the interaction she had with Adam, and it's not because she's worried that Amber is gonna react badly to finding out that she testified. It's 
she's literally begging Amber. She's like, I really just, I'm so upset about how he tricked me. I really want you and your team to put me on the stand as a witness so that I can say things in your benefit. It's not because she's scared of Amber. It's because Amber is her friend and she wants to be there for her friend and wants an opportunity to set the record straight. It's, this is so stupid. Them inferring this weird subtext to this conversation that doesn't exist anywhere outside of their own imaginations. I, I can't even pretend to be charitable with this take. Laura doesn't sound terrified of Amber. She sounds like a friend who is just freaked out by a situation. And her talking really quickly and trying to get every detail out in an almost panicked state I wouldn't call that a panic state. I would call that shit talking. You know how you talk about other people with your friends? You get some new information. Someone says something to you that's kind of shitty and you're like, oh my God, I have to tell my friend Amber about this right away. And then you tell your friend Amber and it comes out really quickly because you're like in a kind of adrenalized state. You're like, oh my God, Amber, wait till you hear what I have to say. That's what this is. That's what this conversation sounds like. Is like, oh my God, I talked to Johnny's lawyer, you gotta know everything. That's not, I mean, maybe there's some like panic and worry in it in that she's freaked out by the situation, by the interaction she had with Adam, but she does not at all sound scared of Amber. She sounds like she is just really eager to tell Amber about what happened. <sighs> and yet all those comments picking apart Laura and Amber's friendship Nothing compared to the absolute horror of reading the comments of some of the audio recordings between Amber and Johnny, which are just plainly disgusting. I'm, I'm going to read them, but just be warned that they're really, they're really bad. Her voice makes my ears tingle, not in a good way, and the little hairs on my neck stick up. She is so jealous of JD, it's obvious. Her constant nitpicking was her attempt at making him hit her. It's so sad to listen to him patiently trying to reason with the devil. Knowing what she did in hindsight while listening to her continually blame him for everything, gaslight and deflect fault is actually nauseating. I feel my blood pressure rising. When they say trigger warning, this is the only person I've ever heard second hand that affects me this way she may be adolf hitler reincarnated okay that one wasn't so much like disgusting so much as it was just funny to me she's adolf hitler reincarnated adolf hitler as in hitler hitler that's what amber heard is adolf hitler okay but the next one is like actually really bad I'm astounded she has lived this long after listening to that. What a patient man he is. So yeah, a lot of these comments are literally just victim blaming. Like, saying her constant nitpicking was her attempt at making him hit her. Her attempt at making him hit her. You cannot make someone hit you unless you're attacking them and they're acting in self-defense. But there is nothing that you can say out loud that causes another person to hit you. That is so gross. That is such a disgusting fucking thing to say. And then 
I'm astounded she has lived this long after listening to that. What that commenter is basically saying is, I feel like most people, if they had to listen to her, would just straight up murder her. Like, what, what else is the subtext to that comment? I'm astounded she's lived this long? You think someone should have murdered her by now? Oh my god, I, what a patient man he is for not murdering her? These people are fucking unhinged. But for all the hatred that Amber Heard got, her most vocal supporters also got maybe even just the same amount of abuse. Obviously, Amber got way more in terms of numbers, but at least Amber is rich. I mean, kinda. She's running low on money now because she keeps getting sued, but... You know, she has resources and access to things that can keep her somewhat safer than some random Twitter users who have been doxxed. Like, there has been such an absurd amount of harassment around this case that being a really vocal Amber Heard supporter is actually just kind of dangerous. One of the most vocal supporters who got a lot of following on Twitter, she made like a big long Twitter thread and she made a couple Twitter threads and she retweeted a lot of pro Amber stuff. Her name was Camila with a K. You might have seen her if you've been kind of keyed into this entire saga online. She has since deleted her social media because someone decided that she must be on Amber's PR team because why would anyone just support Amber unless they're being paid to? So they looked into, I guess, the PR company that Amber hires and found the first woman of color or black woman with the name Camila because Camila, her, her avatar on social media, was a little cartoon of a black woman. It's not a picture of her, it's just a little, little cartoon. So who's to say how accurate it is to her real-life appearance? But because there happened to be a black woman on a PR company that works with Amber named Camila, that Camila started to get harassed because people thought that it was the same person as the Twitter user. But whether or not Camila, who was making those Twitter threads, actually was a part of Amber's PR team, who cares? I don't know why that's a worthy thing to pursue. How were you ever even going to use that information in a way that was at all progressive and helpful to anyone? You weren't. You were just going to harass and dox some fucking random woman. And this is just a pattern. If you become known as a staunch Amber supporter, even maybe not even staunch, but just lightly supporting Amber, making a couple tweets, your chances of getting doxxed and harassed will increase exponentially. I mean, I've never really seen anything like it on the internet ever. And I live here. I've lived on the internet since, I don't know, since like the Polly Pocket website was launched. This isn't even a general vibe that I'm getting. There's data to support that this is 
kind of unprecedented as far as the amount of abuse and harassment that's taking place around one specific subject online. So there's a website called Bot Sentinel. They provide a service using AI technology to assess how much of the activity on Twitter specifically is just created by bots. Bots are becoming an increasing problem on pretty much all social media, but especially Twitter because Twitter doesn't do anything about it. We're like in comparison to other websites, they're they're just not motivated, I guess, to take care of this issue. Maybe because it makes their website look more popular, but you would think at some point it would start cutting into their ability to make any money because they make all their money off of ads and people who are paying to put ads on websites probably don't want to be marketing to a bunch of robots who are not real people that will actually purchase anything. But, you know, who am I to sympathize with advertisers? Anyway, the way that these bots work, different people make them for different reasons, but they're essentially just inauthentic accounts that aren't actually controlled by human beings. They're run by automatic programs that will simulate a real human user of social media, and they will inflate trends, so they'll use certain hashtags to get things trending and make it look like more people are talking about a subject than are actually talking about it, and they will spread really specific talking points that is beneficial to whoever made the bot, I guess. And that's just a way to try to sway public opinion. It spams certain topics with talking points and rhetoric that is meant to make something look like the general consensus is something that it might not necessarily be because these talking points are being spread by inauthentic accounts, not real human beings who actually hold those opinions. And some of those bots also harass people. And of course, that is an intimidation campaign so that if someone's speaking out against something that doesn't benefit the creators of these bots, they're gonna get spammed with a whole bunch of harassment and be less likely to share their own opinion and affect the general consensus that way. There are a few different things to look for if you're trying to decide if an account is a bot. So if it's tweeting a lot about one particular topic and not much else, especially if the account itself is only a couple months old and they have like three followers, probably a bot. If they're liking or replying to any tweet that just has some keywords in it, like if you've ever tweeted the word essay and then you've gotten responses from accounts that say that they'll write your college essay for you, that's a bot. So Bot Sentinel used their own AI technology to create a way to spot bots on Twitter, but not even just bots, specifically problematic inauthentic accounts. So problematic being that they break Twitter's rules, especially in relation to trolling, harassment, or as they say on their website, deceptive tactics engineered to cause division and chaos. They've got a lot of cool features on their website, so if you go there, you can look at the top 20 hashtags that are tweeted by inauthentic accounts. At the moment, uh, it's all just crypto shit that I'm looking at right now. 
crypto scams are a big hub for bot accounts, unsurprisingly. They also aggregate lists of specifically problematic accounts, and they offer auto-blocker services so that you can block any inauthentic accounts that might try to get at you through Twitter. Or you can even block accounts that have certain phrases in their profiles, so if you're really getting harassed by a lot of Johnny Depp stands, you could just block any words associated with Johnny on Twitter so that no one who has, like, number one Johnny stan in their bio could follow you. You would just be able to automatically block them. The platform's been around since, like, 2018. At the time, a lot of the discord that was really concerning had to do with politics and Trump. And occasionally, Bot Sentinel will track specific hate campaigns. Recently, they did some research on the hate campaign against Harry and Meghan Markle. But even more recently than that, they looked at the hate campaign against Amber Heard. They published their report last month in July. Now, a quick disclaimer, in 2020, Bot Sentinel did work with Amber Heard's legal team directly to try to determine whether or not the social media activity against her was organic or if it had been inflated by bot accounts. So Bot Sentinel and Amber Heard already have a little bit of a history, but in June of 2022, they decided to re-examine the activity and they were very clear that neither Amber Heard nor anyone from her team had anything to do with their current research. Of course, if you really hate Amber Heard, you probably just don't believe that. I went onto YouTube and did a quick search to see what people were talking about, about this page, about this report, because everyone is always keeping up with the Amber Heard Johnny Depp saga, so of course, people must know about this. And yeah, like, probably a hundred percent of the videos I saw on the first page were all just, you know, Bot Sentinel lies, and Bot Sentinel is working with Amber, and it's just a whole bunch of, like, conspiratorial nonsense. I mean, really, like, how much money do you think Amber Heard has to just continue funneling into all these different PR campaigns with Bot Sentinel and all these interviewers and all these random users on Twitter? She simply does not have those kinds of resources. I, I'm sorry to tell you. She's not running some, like, secret cabal that's all-powerful. She's just an actress who has, I guess, been cut from Aquaman 2. So that should tell you where she's at in, like, the power scale of Hollywood. Ezra Miller is out here strangling people, and they still get to be the Flash. So I think if Amber had as much influence as people seem to think she does, she would have been able to resurrect her career and wouldn't have been a side character in an Aquaman movie. But whatever, let's just talk about the report. So for one thing, while looking at thousands of accounts who were tweeting anti-Amber Heard hashtags, like Amber Heard is a liar or Amber Heard is an abuser, they found that 19% of those accounts were dedicated to spamming those hashtags. So they weren't just like casual Twitter users who just saw the hashtag and wanted to contribute. They were dedicated, like that's all they did was just spam those hashtags, 19% of those accounts. They also found that of the accounts tweeting anti-Amber Heard hashtags, 24% were created within the past seven months. For comparison, the same average for other topics is 8.6. 
So this is definitely not just normal Twitter atmosphere. This is something that is definitely very targeted. And Bot Sentinel also did an investigation into the amount of harassment that was coming at both Herd and her supporters. On one page they write, Trolling didn't stop with vulgar and abusive tweets. In one case, someone created a fake account using the image of a deceased child of a prominent academic. The troll used the fake account to taunt and torment the person because she tweeted in support of Amber Heard. Trolls escalated their harassment and doxed the academic's family members. This criminal activity led to the target fearing for the safety of her family and herself. All of this together makes this the perfect environment for Team Johnny to thrive and Team Amber to just wither away into sad little corners of the internet where everyone is scared of getting harassed and doxxed all the time. This online abuse obviously led people to be really hesitant to voice their support for Amber Heard. And with all the hashtag spamming and also copy pasta posting where people would just post the same phrases over and over again and different accounts would copy it and paste it themselves, it all just led to this false consensus that made it seem like everyone on the internet was Team Johnny. And even though that amount of support was probably inflated, not even probably, it was inflated because there were an abnormal amount of inauthentic accounts tweeting about it, but also it reinforces the ideas for normal people who are actual human beings that Johnny Depp must be the hero of this story. Amber must have been lying, otherwise, why would everything be trending like this all the time? Why is everyone around me supporting Johnny? It must be for a good reason. And this is how a lot of those myths spread. Things that had absolutely no base or credibility to them, they got all around the internet and when they were getting shared hundreds and thousands and even maybe millions of times, of course people are going to start thinking that those things must be true. Amber must have been the worst person ever and everyone around her hates her, including Elon Musk and Jason Momoa and Johnny Depp's kids and Amber's own parents. And so I know that there are a lot of Amber supporters who have gotten frustrated recently because there is a tide turning here. Amber is getting more support slowly and People are starting to realize that a lot of the stuff that was spread during the trial while it was actually going on was just total bullshit. But they think that, like, where were people when it was going on? And too little too late. People should have been doing their own research and not just following hashtags and trends. But the thing is... I don't think that it's really fair to expect people to do the amount of research that it would have taken for them to actually be really informed on this case. I mean, like I said, I did five hours of my podcast episode just going over all the major allegations and the evidence and the different accounts. So it is like a big task to ask of people and normally when you're online and everyone is saying a certain thing and the same hashtags are trending every day and there aren't a lot of prominent journalists coming out to disprove the bullshit that's being spread, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that, yeah, those things probably have some legitimacy to them because otherwise we would see more people pushing back against it. But of course the people who were pushing back against it were getting harassed and doxxed, so... 
you didn't see them as much. And there are a lot of natural biases that would compel someone to believe a certain thing about this case, whether or not it actually matches up with all the evidence. And that's fine. We can't rid ourselves of bias. I think it's just best that we try to acknowledge our biases so that we can hopefully spot them in the future and be more aware of the fact that we're emotional creatures who are not always guided by logic. So obviously there's like confirmation bias, which everyone can be guilty of exhibiting at some point in their life, and that's when you seek out information that supports something you already believe, and that's super easy to do on the internet, where if you want to find evidence of something that you already feel really, really certain of, you can find evidence that suits your specific needs just anywhere. And the algorithms on Google and different social media websites like Twitter and Facebook and TikTok, those are geared toward keeping you engaged, and the algorithms will pick up on what kind of things keep you engaged, which is often things that you agree with. So you can very easily get into these echo chambers where you're only ever seeing information that benefits your side because that's all the information that these algorithms will expose you to. And that is really troubling, especially in a case like this where there was a lot of misinformation put out. And a lot of that information was also really based on spectacle. So, for instance, you know how a lot of people think that Amber shat in a bed? Her own bed? Uh, yeah, I mean, I talked about that in a different episode. I think that that is an absolutely ridiculous point, but a lot of people believe it, and a lot of people believe it because it's fun. Like, that is a weird thing to think about a celebrity doing, is just fucking shitting in her own bed just to get back at her boyfriend or her husband, I guess. Even when he was out of state at the time, but let's not go down that road again. The point is, there's also just availability bias, which is when you become reliant on information that's really easy to recall. So even though there were a lot more damning allegations made in this overall case, the things you're going to remember are the things that blew up on social media and that are just memorable. So who cares that Adam Waldman maybe coerced people into giving the testimonies they gave? Amber Heard might have shit in a bed. One of those things probably should be emphasized a lot more in this case, but the other thing is just so funny. It's funny and weird, and we like that. We can make memes about it. We can call her Amber Turd. And considering how long this campaign against Amber has been going on, long before the trial itself, but pretty much starting in 2016 when she filed a restraining order against Johnny, that did her a big disadvantage because Johnny was very proactive in calling her a liar. He planted those seeds and watched the backlash steadily develop against Amber for six years. So by the time the trial actually began, a lot of the people watching it already had an idea of what kind of person Johnny was making Amber out to be. And they probably already had some biases in favor of Johnny because he's been a movie star for a really long time and he's in a lot, a lot of cult classics that people feel a really strong connection with. And he's in a lot of things that make people nostalgic, like 21 Jump Street or 
Edward Scissorhands. Plus, he's got that great 90s hair and those cheekbones. He was a big deal in the 90s and the early 2000s. He's a cultural icon that people have a lot of fond feelings for. So if you already came into this trial even as a casual fan of Johnny's, and then you watched the weeks upon weeks of him testifying and found his testimony compelling because he is a great actor and he can definitely put on a good performance and make you feel for him, by the time you get to Amber's testimony, which was what, like, week four of the trial? Maybe week three? Who are you going to believe at that point? The person whom you've always kind of had some sort of passive interest in, even if you just liked the Pirates of the Caribbean movies for some reason? Or the woman who he just spent multiple days of testimony telling you is a lying cunt? It just takes less emotional energy to continue believing that Johnny Depp is a good person, and you definitely don't have to feel weird anytime you watch any of his movies now, uh, cause he definitely didn't do the thing that there's a lot of evidence that he did. Instead, it was his ex-wife, who's not in really any movies you've watched. Like, you watch the Aquaman movie, but you're really more of a Marvel person anyway, so what loss is it? It was actually her that put together this really elaborate plot for years upon years and got her friends who did not benefit in any way to collaborate with her so that she could set Johnny up for being an abuser um, because she thought it would make her more rich and famous? Um, I mean, I don't know exactly what the goal was, but, but I do know that... One time Johnny Depp went to a children's hospital dressed as Jack Sparrow, and that's all I need to know. He would never. He would never. Plus, Amber poops in beds. Like, you can't even trust her. Obviously, I am being a bit uncharitable to the Team Johnny side, but look, I've been researching this for a while and I'm fucking tired, so you'll excuse me if I'm a little snappy about some stuff, but here's the thing. The reason that so many people were susceptible to these myths and these misconceptions about this specific case is because there were a lot of people who were incentivized to make them susceptible to it. So you might have noticed that around this case, there has also been a sort of reconsideration for the Me Too movement and the Time's Up movement. I say a reconsideration, but it's really like the same people who were already shit-talking the Me Too movement when it started that are now just pushing that narrative quite a lot more. And they're unfortunately getting a bit more support than they did back in like 2017. Or are they? I don't even know. Maybe the bots are just inflating that too. But. The Daily Wire, a right-wing news, in quotes, organization owned by Ben Shapiro, spent between $35,000 and $47,000 on Facebook and Instagram ads promoting articles about the trial between Johnny and Amber, a dominant proportion of which was obviously very pro-Johnny. And the reason for that is because this case became a representation for a lot of the people within the the Me Too movement has gone to far camp. 
False allegations about domestic violence and rape and sexual assault are extremely, extremely rare. But stoking fear about the potential for false allegations has been used as a way to protect actual abusers who have been disproportionately populating positions of power for a long, long time. Outlets like the Daily Wire benefit from villainizing women like Amber Heard because they can use her as an example for why we shouldn't believe victims. We should be distrustful of anyone who comes forward with allegations of abuse, especially when they're coming out against a person who is likable. Plus, the coverage on this trial also just made a lot of money. The Daily Wire spent maybe close to $50,000 on ads promoting articles about this trial, but they almost certainly made it back. This was a very worthwhile investment for really anyone because this became one of the most clickbaitable topics of like all internet history. And it wasn't just already established publications making money off of this. It was also a lot of YouTubers and content creators People who were doing lawyer reacts to the trial, psychologists reacts to the trial, body language experts. And then also these sound bites on TikTok were just getting out of control. People taking the smallest little bits of the trial and making them into lip syncable little trends. <sighs> Some of them were funny. I'm I'm gonna say that. Like, there were moments in this case that whether it's good or not, this this trial was entertaining. Videos of Amber Heard's attorneys saying something and then objecting to their own questioning. Like, it was so ridiculous and stupid. And there are so many points that you can clip out and make into a funny joke. Because there were six weeks worth of content. But, of course, we do have to keep in mind that a lot of the things that people were clipping out were things that were really, really gross. People were taking aspects of Amber's testimony regarding her sexual assault and making jokes of that and making fun of her. Even if you think Amber is a liar, other rape victims are going to see those TikToks. And they're going to see the way that you're laughing at Amber. And they're going to know that this is what happens if you come out and people just don't really find you likable enough to believe. And I said it before too, even if Amber had lied about all this stuff, lying about stuff like this, domestic violence and rape, it's not a normal thing to do. And it's something that is really only done by people who are severely mentally ill. So even if Amber was lying, you're then just making fun of a mentally ill person for being mentally ill. It's just gross no matter how you cut it. And the weirdest thing about all of this has been that no one really acknowledged that. I mean, people did. There were people calling it out, but on like a really large scale, this was just kind of normal. You just went down your timeline and saw people making fun of Amber. People that I follow on TikTok because I thought they had a cute dog were doing it. Or fucking Lance Bass from NSYNC was mocking Amber. Doja Cat got involved. And I was seeing rhetoric that I thought that we had just grown past. People asking things like, 
Well, if Amber was abused, why didn't she just leave him? And that was something that was said on the stand by Johnny Depp. And we just look past it. As if that hasn't been rhetoric that advocates against domestic abuse have been fighting against for decades. We really should be in a better spot in our society with how we talk about domestic abuse for this shit to have just never happened. But apparently, we have not come nearly as far as a lot of us had hoped we had, so let's address some misconceptions about abuse in general. So for one thing, there were a lot of talking points surrounding the idea of what real victims act like or what real abusers act like. So this is a tweet that I saw on Twitter that had like 20,000 likes and I was horrified, but it says, I have been told abusers stare at victims in court. The abused can't look at the tormentor. When Johnny Depp testified, Amber Heard was staring at him and has done throughout. He refuses to look at her. So this is more just body language bullshit. There is no one way that abusers and victims act in a courtroom. They can look wherever they want. Maybe some victims would be really hesitant to look their abuser in the eye because it freaks them out. Maybe others would be afraid to take their eyes off of them because they're afraid. Like, it's all so personal and based on context and circumstances and just fucking human preferences for engaging with the world. There is no one way that abusers or victims act. Then this was on a YouTube comment, so... The real abuser would never let anybody look into his life like that. Johnny organized this trial, he has nothing to hide, only truth to say. Again, not true. This is actually a really common tactic for abusers. They like taking their victims to court to make them relive things that they were trying to forget, things that traumatized them. And they exert their power by making other people believe them. I mean, this is not universal. Again, abusers and victims are not a monolith. They respond to situations in all different ways, but this is a really common tactic. Abusers take their victims to court all the time. It is in itself an act of humiliation that they are inflicting upon their victims for a lot of people. Then another comment. She constantly complains about him splitting, i.e. leaving when things get tense. She says she wants them to be able to fight and argue. What victim of abuse would say this? So... Really, with this, number one, I would want to put in context why Amber is so upset about Johnny splitting. So, her allegation really is that Johnny wouldn't just leave when they would start getting in real bad arguments. He would start leaving the second that she started to have a problem with anything. If she started to criticize him or if she was at all in a bad mood, he would use that as an excuse to leave and leave for like a week at a time, maybe even more, than just go have like a fucking bender with his friends somewhere else. So her allegation really is that he was splitting as an excuse to go get high and do drugs and abandon her. And she was saying that she feels like she can't bring anything up that might upset Johnny because he might split. And she would rather have arguments and fight like normal couples do than just completely ignore any sort of conflict in the relationship. And that's pretty normal. But also, just this idea of, like, what kind of victim would want to fight and argue? 
When you're in an abusive situation for a long time, you can start to think about the abuse and the fighting as a part of the relationship. It can even be seen to you as a weird sort of affection because it's passionate and it's your partner paying attention to you, which seems like it was a problem here because Johnny was leaving a whole bunch and abandoning Amber and leaving her alone and not contacting her. So like, yeah, it's really, really normal that she would say something like that. That she would say, I'd rather have a fucking fight and even maybe get physically violent than have you just abandon me anytime I'm upset. These are not abnormal feelings for an abuse victim to have. Another idea that I saw brought up again and again was that because abusers are known to isolate their victims from family, from loved ones, whereas Johnny was actively encouraging Amber's friends to move into their penthouses and wanted to support Amber's parents and her sister financially, that he couldn't have possibly been abusive because he wasn't isolating Amber at all. He was keeping her friends around. In fact, he was befriending her friends. And yeah, that's kind of another form of isolation. It's not necessarily the case that anyone who tries to befriend their partner's friends or tries to financially support the people that their partner cares about is an abuser, but this is a way to put people into situations in which it would be really, really hard for them to leave. Because if everyone that you know also is friends and loves and is financially dependent on your partner, when you start having issues with that partner, you don't have a support system outside of your relationship. Your loved ones may even have financial incentives to convince you to stay in an abusive situation. That's actually what happened to Nicole Brown when she was being abused by O.J. Simpson. She had been horrifically beaten by him and her own father convinced her not to press charges because O.J. was financially supporting them and was responsible for a bunch of advancements in Nicole's dad's career. Going off of this, another thing that I kept seeing brought up over and over again were comments disparaging Amber's friends for sticking up for her and testifying on her behalf and saying that they witnessed things that they probably did in fact witness because not only has Johnny convinced them that this is all a huge conspiracy and Amber's friends were in on it for some reason, again, no benefit to them whatsoever for them to be Team Amber, People have also tried to make the argument that Amber's friends are all ungrateful because Johnny had paid for their penthouses and had given them space to work on things for their jobs and had done all this really nice stuff for them. And that in itself is such a representation of the coercive control that Johnny had over Amber's loved ones. When you call Rocky Pennington and Josh Drew ungrateful because they were living in one of Johnny's penthouses and then testified on Amber's behalf? You're playing into the abuse tactics because that is the kind of shit that abusers want. They want the people who speak out against them to look ungrateful. If you give someone a whole bunch of shit, you pay for their house, you buy them things, you connect them with certain people who are high up in industries that they're trying to be a part of, you get them jobs, and you do that 
seemingly out of the total goodness of your heart, not expecting anything in return, just you being such a generous, lovely soul. And then that person dares to not show you unwavering loyalty. Now you get to paint them as taking advantage of you. That's, that's it. How dare Rocky side with her friend when her friend says that she's been abused by her husband, when that husband let Rocky live in a penthouse for free? If anything, that mere fact is even more reason for me to trust Amber's account. Because why would Rocky risk everything, risk her living situation, risk becoming the enemy of Johnny Depp, just to support a friend who she didn't have good reason to believe. Rocky clearly had good reason to trust Amber and be on her side. Otherwise, what was she doing any of that shit for? She could have easily just stuck with the guy who was paying her rent. But instead, she encouraged her friend to get out of that relationship, knowing that it was going to mean that all of them had to find a new place to live. But people still don't want to believe Amber because she's not the perfect victim. And... That's something that we've seen throughout time, but it bears repeating that anyone can be a victim of domestic violence. Anyone? It is more likely people of certain demographics, but it's, it's something that's open to anybody. And one really frustrating thing that I saw online were people who themselves were victims of domestic abuse saying things like, I don't want Amber representing me? Or Amber saying she's a victim makes all victims look bad? But, like, there's no... There's no victim of domestic abuse that is representative of every victim. In fact, there are victims of domestic abuse who themselves are abusers. And the goal of fighting domestic violence as an epidemic is not to make domestic abuse victims look any way. They're all individuals. They don't need to be good or bad people. They just need to be believed. And we need to understand how abuse can manifest. And one of those ways is with something called DARVO, which you may have heard of at this point because it did become a big point of discussion around this trial and also around the Gabby Petito case from last year, Gabby who died at the hands of her boyfriend. But as I said about abusers liking to take their victims to court, they are really good at coercing people and convincing others that their partner is the one that's insane, their partner is the one that's out of control, and they are the real victim. So that tactic is called DARVO because it stands for Deny, Attack, and Reverse Victim and Offender. You deny that you're the abusive one, you continue to attack your partner, and when they start reacting in a way that is in response to the abuse you've levied against them for probably a while at this point, you use their instability and their emotional reaction to your abuse as a way to paint them as the problem in the relationship. It's just a really destructive form of gaslighting, and that's... What I think happened in this case. There were instances in which, yeah, Amber was violent toward Johnny, and times when she did seem to be the instigator for specific acts of violence. But 
She was trying to survive in a relationship that was already volatile and already violent, and she was doing it in the best way she knew how. To also be violent, to be defensive, to be reactive. And then Johnny took all those moments and used them against her, and took audio clips out of context and found all of her worst moments to make her look like the kind of person we would want to punish. And it worked. Kinda. I don't think it's gonna work for long, to be honest. I know that this whole saga has been pretty dark, especially if you do believe Amber like I do, but I don't think that this is gonna be a permanent win for Johnny. I think the tide is turning. Now that the spectacle has died down, I think people are gonna start looking at this case for just the bare-bones facts, and they're not gonna be too happy to realize that there was a lot of manipulation happening with the media and with Johnny Depp's attorneys and him as an individual. In the long run, I don't think that this was gonna be a good move for Johnny. I think people have a bad taste in their mouth just from this trial overall, even if they don't necessarily side with Amber, it's still just gonna be hard to look at Johnny Depp the same way ever again. And once the documentaries start rolling out and we get people who actually know something about domestic violence speaking about this and talking about how Amber was done real fucking dirty, it, it's gonna be bad gonna be bad for Johnny. I'm actually a bit anxious to see. Apparently, it's been rumored and maybe also confirmed that Johnny is gonna be appearing at the VMAs for some reason. I, I guess because the VMAs and MTV is so Gen Z focused and TikTok became such a huge part of this trial that they think this is gonna be a way to really wow the kids, but I think that the conversations about the trial have already started to make a turn. I, I don't know that that's gonna be a popular decision. I think that it's actually gonna draw a lot more people out to be really, really angry. Angry at Johnny, angry at the VMAs, and angry at all of popular media for enabling this fucking mess to ever become as big as it did, so I guess we'll see. But unless something, like, really major happens, even if he shows up at the VMAs, I'm not gonna talk about it. I'm not gonna talk about it for at least, like, two months, okay? So this is the last time, for now, that I'm gonna be mentioning this topic, and my next episode is gonna be hella hella different. So I'll see you then, if you come back. But if you only listen to my little Amber and Johnny four-part series. Thanks for joining. Love you. Bye.